Hello and welcome to the Crate and Crowbar. This is episode 202. It is the 16th of August and I am your host, Philippa War. Joining me today are Christopher Thurston. Hi. And Thomas Francis. Hello. Wow, full names, Pip. <laughs> what did we do? Well, I mean, I would have used middle names if you both were in trouble. <laughs> okay, good. I, I thought we would just formal this shit up, you know? <laughs> wow, you really formaled the fuck out of it. <laughs> I, you... I'm in a ball gown. <laughs> Those two are in tuxedos. <laughs> it's all go. Do you know my middle name? Um, I think you have told me this several times before because it's one of those <laughs> questions that usually comes up. But then we always get really distracted by the fact that someone we know has an amazing bird of prey as their middle name. <laughs> so um, that always pushes the, the information out of... Would this be Tim Stone? Uh, I didn't really think I should name him in case it's his password for <laughs> Well, we haven't said his middle name, so... <laughs> You have to go through all the birds of prey. That's true. Peregrine Falcon. <laughs> Who would make that password their middle name? <laughs> Who would make that their middle name? <laughs> I don't think you had any choice. I think at some point I did know what your middle name was. <laughs> well, Hang this on. is good because it means neither like of you can tell me off. I feel like it's going to be like something that when you tell us, we'll know. <laughs> it's not interesting or anything. I was like just curious. Retrospectively, we all be the man with three first names. <laughs> that's a good guess <laughs> to be fair i've got three first names but only on account of having two middle names same mm. Mm. so it's not news is it I anthony. I is it anthony no. no i didn't build this as news i didn't say here's the news <laughs> i just said who you two are and you objected to your own name <laughs> i didn't object it's gone well so far it just stood out it just stood out to me because you used all 11 characters of it well, okay, well, here's CT. <laughs> like, and everyone would just be like... I used to be called CJ when I was a kid. That's a fun fact. No, you didn't. You used to be called Kit. Uh, well, and Kit or CJ, interchangeably. That's stupid. Wow. Those are both yeah. quite American. Yeah, they were. Yeah, I don't know why. I, I didn't go there until I was 20. Were you, as a child, the press secretary for all the um, White House? <gasps> no, I wasn't. Nor was I uh, Pamela character from Baywatch. <laughs> <laughs> hmm? You could have performed the jackal. I could have done, but I was a child. Okay, well. But anyway, that's, you know, again, I, we're just sharing particular, not particularly interesting facts about me. And the I breezed one, keep through that as if it was, like, really professional There's and no really breathing succinct. And now we've just mired in in the... It's not a bit until it's dead. That's the, that's my motto. <laughs> you and your horses. This has been an evening of horses. It has. We've pre-gamed. <laughs> Can you tell? <laughs> just FYI. <laughs> Uh, what's the news this week, Christopher and or Thomas <laughs> and or Francis? <laughs> Francis is here too, my nemesis. <laughs> is nemesis? that your middle name, and or? <laughs> <laughs> and or, and that'd be, that's actually an amazing, that is an amazing middle name to give someone whose surname is also Thomas first name. and or Francis. <laughs> <laughs> Take a pick. Take a pick as my fourth name. <laughs> You could bodge it a bit with like Sandor, like in um, Sandor Clegane, <laughs> yeah. Game of Thrones. Although, um, if, you, if you were really, if you made it, if, if you, you Alex Sandor, if you if you um, prided yourself on being indecisive, so you'd be like, just make a decision. Like, no, Andor is my middle name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of people who can't decide on their names, ah, that's well ah. done, well segued. Uh, Blizzard have changed the name of their... Oh my god, that thing. does work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
back from uh, they changed Battle.net to Blizzard app and then they changed it back again. Well, they, wasn't it like Blizzard and then like whatever verb it was like? It's Blizzard Battle.net. Or hang, it, like it was Blizzard streaming and oh, it was right. Blizzard voice and it was like all of those other things were were going to come together under the brand, <laughs> but then everyone was like, but you haven't actually changed the name of the service and the website is still battle.net <laughs> and also everyone knows what battle.net is and what are you doing <laughs> so then they they scored a, a marketing win by double rebranding it as <laughs> blizzard battle.net <laughs> <laughs> yeah probably increase the total number of people who know what that is oh yeah <laughs> certainly increase the total number of things written or said about the name of that piece of software yep. in the last month. Mm. Good job. Good job. <laughs> well. Speaking of marketing. <laughs> oh, more fun with marketing this week uh, through the XCOM 2 propaganda poster app. Speaking mm. of apps. Well, that was just segues a go-go. Ahead of uh, War of the Chosen, which is the DLC that's coming out at the end of this month. I think so. <laughs> Um, and they've released, yeah, a standalone app that lets you kind of pose soldiers against backgrounds and put text on them to make propaganda posters for the, re- mm. the resistance. Um, and I think, yeah, if you have the game, then it uses your actual soldiers, right? I think so. I mean, what I don't know is, it, like, if, I mean, none of us have War of the Chosen yet, um, uh, but if you just have XCOM 2, does it use those soldiers? I don't know, Tom. It, it certainly <laughs> has all the same assets in it, because that's the basis of I mean, probably the reason we're bringing this up, which is the many pretty funny p- purposes this yep. software has been used for. Uh, it's favorites. quite nice because it kind of invites it rather than it, it sort of trying to do something relatively naive and then being absolutely scuppered by the fact that the internet does not take kindly to branding exercises. Yeah, I think letting the community fuck it up for themselves is is the best story our favorite do you want to read it our favorite is just a woman a woman with a shock of white hair on a um pointing like uh, uncle sam or lord kitchener um uh, in front of a, a picture of a what are they called the snake people from vipers vipers a viper from xcom 2 with the caption winners don't fuck snake people don't fuck them <laughs> Uh, the, the second line is written kind of in blood and scrawl <laughs> underneath them as if it's for some reason it reads as if it's, like it's a comic sans like, blood winners scroll. don't fuck snake people don't fuck them <laughs> just to reinforce the key point in the message i think it's a very effective piece of uh, i think I that, about marketing, that but... blood font reminds me of you know when you see lyrics written out and then like the the posse in the background who are doing the sort of the chorus refrains like that stuff <laughs> is bracketed out this feels like there would be a kind of you know corpsey backdrop yeah. kind of you know uttering the the refrain Either way, it's just nice to see, uh, it's nice to see people resolutely taking the piss out of the game in a way that everyone can enjoy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Is there any other news? Do we have news? There's a Prey demo news? now on PC, might worth mentioning briefly. There was a demo earlier in the year, but it was console exclusive for the second best space station exploration simulator, but the best one where you can be a cup released this year. Um, Pips give me that look again. Um, but Did you say what? What can you be? A cup. I thought you said a cop. <laughs> a cop. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I was. I, I thought was maybe. So- I thought for a second someone obeyed space precinct, and then I was interested. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> I'd have been interested as well, but now I'm. I said cup. 
Um, but nonetheless, there's a demo out on Steam. So if you haven't played Prey, which is excellent, then this is a good opportunity to do that. I think it's the same as the demo I played on console, which is they call it the first hour, but actually it's the first sort of hub. And I spent like four hours on it. <laughs> it's the first extremely milkable hub area. Yeah. Um, I, you know, highly milkable hubs. It's, 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 it's a very, very milkable hub. I, I mean, I think Isn't it's just an udder. <laughs> no, no, we've disrupted the udder. It's and a milkable a... hub now. <laughs> Demo is CJ is my disruption name. <laughs> Demo is an anagram of dome, though, and hudders are like domes. Hudders, even. Hudders. Hudders. Huddersfield. Huddersfield. What are we talking about? Domes. So now there's a free dome for thingy. There's a fir- your, your milkable dome. Hubs. There's a milkable dome for yape. <laughs> um, oh, oh, uh, this is the, God, this is not news. <laughs> well, you just anagram prey and it couldn't help but evoke in my mind that I've noticed recently that, uh, I was playing Pyre and yeah. prey one after the other. They're right next to each other on my Steam list and they're the same letters. In the- huh. I think it was, um, someone on twitter i think it might have been carolyn who made uh, that joke but as a kind of ah you know the the best game that uses those those letters <laughs> in this order you know is whichever you know burn you want to apply i guess it's a much better that is a much better observation than what i just said because what i've just realized what i said isn't even an anagram for prey yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like when you you know like when lisa simpson goes to that guy's house and it's like oh we like to play anagram games and they give her like jeremy irons uh, to make an anagram from and she's like jeremy's iron (laughs) 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 you're kind of sat there like pray it's an anagram of epri (laughs) yep actually that'd be yep (laughs) that was my mistake and someone somewhere will have shouted that at their podcast I like that when they go to Kyoto in Futurama, the uh, motto for that town is the anagram lovers Tokyo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in the same way that Pyre is the anagram lovers prey. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Both Simpsons and Futurama. Both great. Mm. Yeah. That's our news. I don't think I've got any other news. I'm trying to think. I've been writing it at points this week and nothing's mm. coming to mind. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't. Uh, I haven't really paid that much attention well good oh although um something caught my eye that i had done absolutely no research on because i thought that it was something else so (laughs) no no but the pillars of the earth is now out and i had entirely spent its whole marketing cycle assuming it was pillars of eternity yeah and just sort of skim reading it and it isn't apparently it's a sort of point and click slash storytelling choice game about building cathedrals in 12th century england and i'm like i am so on board with that this is, right that now. is the most you thing that- that's my jam so um that is a thing that i want to try and carve out a bit of time for pun intended because of all the carving that they did <laughs> yeah mm. imagine they did i did a whole um module in my undergraduate degree on the building of canterbury cathedral a lot of which was built in the 12th century and beyond. It was obviously also built previously, but there were fires and then the murder of Thomas Beckett happened and then there was a whole kind of, oh, we need to accommodate the tourists, you know, because of all the veneration that was going on. Did you just skip about 800 years? (laughs) What do you mean? (laughs) Between the tourists and Thomas Beckett. 
No, because Thomas Beckett got killed in 1170. Mm. And like the tourism happened pretty quickly afterwards. It was huh. all kind of like, oh, let's go and venerate your old Thomas, right? <laughs> In private, please. <laughs> oh, is that uh, a sex thing? Oh. <laughs> oh. Is it? It's not. It wasn't until you said it. <laughs> if you'd said John Thomas, then yeah. I mean, it, but you were close enough. There's a place in the cathedral <laughs> called the Corona, which is like Thomas's crown chapel. Is that a sex thing as well? Like, oh, it depends what you point. do there. Okay, well, and the tip of this, the it, martyring sword got broken off. So is that a, like, I'm, I'm confused now. Is this? It's a, just the phrase venerate your old Thomas <laughs> is funny. Oh. <laughs> it, it's just a funny okay. phrase, Pip. It's well. Just, but anyway, that... Your middle that... name isn't Old Thomas, is it? <laughs> no. Thomas Old Thomas Francis. Yeah. And or. <laughs> um, Thomas Thomas Francis. <laughs> Thomas Tom, and Tom. or Old Thomas. Uh, Tom Tom. <laughs> um, no, Inventory but anyway, I just thought I would mention that because it sounded like a game that would have actually totally passed me by simply because it's got caught up in a lot of P-O-E kind of acronyms mm. and a lot of pillars of... More and... C-O-E than P-O-E, if you know what I mean. <laughs> That's, why don't I it work in marketing? No, because it was a good, like, what, three or four hundred years prior to that, right? That's true. <laughs> Thank Sorry. you. But was it closer in time to that than Pillars of Eternity? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> uh, there's a, another small item of news, which is just that uh, West of Loathing is out. Um, oh yeah, from oh, yeah. Uh, sometime Crate and Crowbar guest Zach Johnson. Well, one time Crate and Crowbar guest. Not that he, he can come back, but he wasn't. <laughs> You're banned. You're not banned, Zach. <laughs> Good news. Um, and is getting rave reviews and uh, people are loving it. I haven't played any more since I last talked about it, but um, I did see that somebody posted a screenshot of the graphics menu. <laughs> doesn't sound like it's going to be good, but wait for it. Uh, and the graphic settings are good, bad, and ugly. <laughs> Night. Oh. That's awesome. The, um, the graphic <sighs> settings for Dream Daddy are, I think it's Dad, Daddy, and Daddy. <laughs> and it's like, I'm not entirely sure which direction I'm going yeah. in with those. Like, which is the best? Like, I'm assuming Daddiest, but like, maybe if I don't, I don't know. It'd be great if it just didn't change anything. We could talk about news. We did, I mean, did. other things. What's the other <laughs> thing that we do? What we're playing? Well, I, well, I mean, we can link those thing, two things together by saying that the other thing that's happened is No Man's Sky got its big update. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Atlas, Atlas Rises. Atlas Rises. Mm. Um, and we've all played a bit of that. Is that... Sorry, did Atlas shrug and then he was able to rise because he shrugged the thing Well, it's like he was shrugging and he was like, I might as well get up. (laughs) (laughs) Atlas, get up. No. Well, I've dropped it now. God. (laughs) I made that Atlas shrug pun so many times at launch and like I kept, I think I kept missing my window for shoehorning it into someone's news article. So that was annoying. Um, But yeah, the, uh, the update. And so it's the one that has sort of started to maybe make tiny baby steps towards multiplayer. Yeah. Which Actually, is interesting. when I saw the, the post about this, um, I kind of thought that they might get mocked for this a bit because, um, it's a huge update. It's got 30 hours of story content somehow. I don't understand how that's possible, but apparently it does. I didn't even um, play like the, the, the one hour that they had previously. <laughs> I was like, I, yeah, I'm going to go take pictures of plants. It has a new mission system. It has a whole bunch of other stuff. And then it, um, 
introduces multiplayer of sorts where the the sort of i can't remember if it's a screenshot or a video i saw but um uh i think it's a video and the other players you can have up to 16 i think in the same sort of locale they embedded a gift Uh, on their um on their notes page their patch notes but the other players are just essentially like wisps just little balls of light and you can see them kind of jumping around and stuff but it looks kind of absurd because they're they're not embodied there's like a hub cluster with like a glowing point isn't there and then you can kind of you get local voice chat but not like actual people i think and it sounded to me as if you were kind of hearing ghosts Mm. like that seemed to be or you know kind of because i mean obviously local voice chat exists in games already in other games but it it sounded very specifically disembodied in a mm. in an interesting seancey kind of way. And they they refer to this as like a very a, a sort of tentative first step towards multiplayer. Like this is not what it's what it's going to be. It's just a sort of um, uh, a first step in that direction. And I was a bit worried for them because I thought it it kind of just because it looks kind of funny. I thought they're going to be ripped apart by people saying, "Oh, you promised multiplayer and now there's this." Uh, but actually, the reaction has been really positive. Everyone's re- like. Uh, giving it another chance it was one of the most played games on steam um right after the update and uh everyone seems really impressed with how much they've added and how much they've changed Mm. Mm. i think that's been nicely the response to all of the news stories i've written about the because for some reason it just seems to coincide with when i'm on shift i think (laughs) but um so i've i wrote about the the one just before this and sort of explained you know just what it was and i think the majority of the responses were people being pleased that hello games were actually sticking with it and trying to sort of improve it and listening to feedback and actually providing these chunky updates rather than i guess drip feeding sort of little things that weren't helpful on their own i guess although you know when i did because i tweeted a picture of a thing that i found during my playthrough earlier this afternoon and the one of the tweets i got back was like is it better than it was at launch it's like oh come on you know like this is a boring topic of conversation right now like you know there are articles to be written about it about what happened and how it's changed and you know that stuff and it could be really interesting but i'm kind of done with the harping on that one topic at this point because it's just it's exhausted it does feel like they've just the entire team has been working on it full-time ever since launch it doesn't feel like anything's you know, you know um ramped down at all it feels like they're just completely mm. focused on working mm. on it as if it's um you know at the same pace they already were so i mean i'm guessing ha- n- none of us have encountered the multiplayer stuff right no no so but we've all played smatterings of it since the update come out mm-hmm. came out so and i think tom you hadn't played it since since it came out at this point no i don't think so so how was your experience what was that i um first thing i did was quit and uh, (laughs) look up the mod for instant interact you know how you have to hold the button down on every goddamn thing Uh, that drives me crazy and i i remembered previously i did have that mod and obviously it's been deprecated and there's a new version and it works uh so i had to go and do that um and then i um first of all i I was worried well i I wanted to know like i remember hearing about the previous update that it improved the terrain generation a load Mm, and i didn't know whether i would get that having a sort of if i'm in the middle of a game um and i asked and i think uh, you and and some other people pip uh said that uh yes it would use the new terrain generation for 
for new stuff you're encountering and actually someone said it will use it for the old stuff you encountered as well it will mm. regenerate the things that you had already seen um i think with i i was telling you that with one of the previous updates they'd actually issued a warning that said yeah. uh because of how it regenerates things and it incorporates this stuff into your existing game you might well end up like miles away from where you actually <laughs> thought you were when you quit out last time yeah that's a tough thing to do actually i don't know how they handle that mm. um and yeah the new that i i don't remember what the planets i was in here looked like before uh i think they might be different um and just in general planets look way more interesting to me now uh, and i found water or you know liquid yeah um i found seas i literally i played it for six hours or something i'd never seen any water on any planet at all before oh, this. really um i'm encountering it less at the moment actually huh. i just hit a big big ass ocean <laughs> that's the full spectrum <laughs> Sorry, spectrum motion. Um, I, and I, uh, to be honest, I didn't uh, get back into it. Um, I remembered where I was, which was trying to make antimatter to fuel my hyperdrive. Oh, okay, and yeah, so it's such early. a, it's like a such a many step process. It's, it's make this to make that, and then it's once you got that, you can make this, and then once you got that, you can make this, and that will get you the suspension gel that yeah. then lets you make antimatter. And so I've got like. I think I must have the blueprint for antimatter, which means I, if I have the ingredients, I can make antimatter. But one of the things you need is, I think it's suspension liquid it's or something. Suspension, suspension liquid or suspension fluid, and something else, which you then convert into an into another intermediary stage yeah. prior to converting it with the aid of some other accelerant, I guess, into antimatter that you then translate into a warp core thing that yeah. you then plug into your hyperdrive and i've got the blueprint but i don't have the i don't have the liquid suspension thingy and then i also don't have the blueprint for the liquid suspension thingy mm. so i can't make it or know how to make it so all i can do is buy it i guess but i spent ages trying to figure out how to do that and then also once i finally did that and i got some antimatter um uh i can't remember exactly what it was telling me to do but the there's a kind of prompts on screen at all times or very frequently popping up in the bottom right hand corner of the screen kind of nagging you about what to do so when you're in the process of doing it you sort of can't ignore it i can't find any way to turn it off except turning off the entire hud which is fatal because then it doesn't yeah. tell you about burning to death and things um so it's constantly nagging you about something that might not be your your actual short-term objective you know i just kind of wanted to pootle around for a bit um and then once i did decide okay i better focus on this thing and actually do it um it stopped telling me what to do after I got the actual, I got some antimatter and I, it's in my hyperdrive. And I think I just have to go somewhere, but I'm not really sure what. And I remember last time I played, I did. It's telling you to explore the galaxy yeah. or maybe go find an anomaly or something. Yeah. And I just kind of ran out of energy. I, I, I simultaneously felt like I had no direction, but also was being nagged all the time about objectives. Yeah. And I actually restarted in creative mode or whatever it's called, like sandbox mode. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I think it's creative. Thinking mode. that like, Oh, and also I was just being nagged all the time about inventory. Just every time I do anything, oh, your inventory's full, your inventory's full. Even when you're not trying to pick up something new, if your inventory's full, it'll constantly tell you, your inventory's full, your inventory's full, your inventory's full. Is this, is this something that needs, like, solving right now? Mm. And it's like, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to throw something away just so I have a free slot, just so you'll shut up? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I started creative mode, but actually... Uh, I didn't explore it thoroughly enough to know if that does take away inventory. I mean, it was kind of... a I was so, thinking I th maybe it takes away your inventory and then I, um, when I started it, I realized it almost doesn't matter whether it does or not because I don't need to pick anything up because I yeah, don't need to. Yeah, like you have unlimited resources at your disposal so you can just build whatever, you can right. do whatever and so it's like you, 
you could still theoretically pick stuff up if you wanted, but there's no there's no point to it, I guess. Mm. Um, unless you want to actually start interacting with the characters. I assume, I, I can't remember, but I assume that they'd still be in there. So maybe there would be some benefit for you having some carbon on you just so that you could help right. one of the characters or, you know, whatever Do you know else. if you can like use the vehicles and stuff? I, there's always stuff they've added since that I don't know how to access yeah. it. Like there, apparently there's land vehicles, but I don't know how to go about getting those. Or doing... I haven't done those. I went into creative mode just for a little while to experiment with the base building stuff because mm. I just couldn't be bothered to go through like the the hurdles that the game puts in your way. Because I think I've actually done a similar thing to you, and I'm probably at a similar stage to you because I wiped my earlier save because I thought do you know what i've forgotten everything that i accidentally did with <laughs> yep. story mode and i wasn't engaged with it and i didn't care um and so i will actually give it a fair shot this time round and see you know what it's like and maybe even see about base building or something and then i found myself just really it ramps up so slowly and it's so unwieldy and it trips over itself and yeah i think what you said was spot on in that it it spends a lot of time nagging you, but also feeling like it's meandering or mm. that it's not really, you know, because at the moment it's telling me, oh, go and explore space and find an anomaly. So there's this nagging prompt in the corner of my screen that I hate seeing. And it means that I'm tempted to just skip through galaxies that I'm or star <laughs> systems that I'm in just so that I can get rid of it and get on to the next thing. But that's the worst way to play No Man's Sky. Yeah. So. I also, um, I didn't take, I rejected the Atlas thing, whatever that is. Oh, I said I yes that being this time. presented Ugh. as a, like, do you want to be guided to the galaxy or do you want to do your own thing? So I said, I want to do my own thing. Mm. And then A, I'm still getting nagged all the time being told exactly what to do. And B, I keep encountering these things that says, oh no, you can't open this because you didn't get the Atlas Pass. And yeah. as far as I know, I can't get the Atlas Pass now. So it's just constantly saying, you did the wrong thing, you did the wrong thing, you did the wrong thing. I think the Atlas Pass, because I don't have that at the moment. And I kind of, I think I remember this from previous, because at some point I just went sod it and just spent all of my time just getting enough resources to get enough antimatter that I could skip from star system to star system, taking photos of interesting planets that I found along the way and all of that stuff. So the story stuff just absolutely stopped for me and I didn't make any more progress um, and was fine with that. Um, but the, I think I remember you had to do certain things to just build an Atlas, you know, like to, to get the pass and like talk to the, some of the characters like along the way and i'd started to do that but i just didn't care um and one of the things that i've really noticed i don't know whether it's become more of a pronounced problem or maybe if they are sorting other things out other frustrations are more obvious if you see what i mean but the interface stuff is really getting on my nerves at the moment because mm. it's stuff like um i need some resources and so i will you know do a bit of so um you need iron to power your pulse drive which is the thing that takes you between planets within a star system so it's not the hyperdrive stuff um and so one of the sources of that that's really easy to come by is the asteroids that are actually in space and so you can shoot them with your little ship as you go to the next place then fuel up and then just keep going um, but because I had done a bit of, you know, jiggery pokery with my inventory, you can just press X over a thing to move it to your, to your ship, right? 
Um, so I, so my free slots were actually in my suit, but I did hmm. have free slots. And so I was shooting at things and then it was like, oh, but your inventory is full. It's like, no, it isn't. It's just that the, the place where you're trying to put it, which is the ship. Put the space iron in full. my trousers. <laughs> and so, but it just meant that I had to then pause the thing you know or like you know at least try and not crash into things while i dealt with the inventory problem open up the inventory open up the spaceship in infantry infantry inventory <laughs> and then move the stuff back into my spacesuit just so that it could auto pick up the f- i was like okay fine you've got different caps on things and obviously it's like the game has like a logic that it uses with where it puts these things but ultimately it's just busy work and it's yeah, stupid that you have that busy work when you know the the idea now is that you just can transfer things seamlessly so it's dumb <laughs> yeah i don't know what they gain from making you do that manual transfer process like i they want you to want better ships because the ship will have a better inventory and yeah. i guess there are better suits as well i don't know oh but, my god i'm uh, now hanging if... around like a weirdo in a spaceport <laughs> like just like talking to everyone that comes in to find out a how many sp- spare slots their ship has yeah. and b whether i can afford it oh, and that's so and clunky as well like around. I, for every ship i like every ship i see yeah. every ship i see i want to buy it and i want to find out how much it costs and i've got some amount of money but it hasn't been enough yet yeah but for each one i've got to walk up to them and like hold the thing to talk to them then go through a conversation menu it, it zooms you around to see their face then you've got to choose this option then you got to choose that option and then it takes you to a screen where it shows the ship but you still can't see what it costs and then you gotta press another button to compare them and then yeah. you see what it costs and it's like now i know i can't afford it and this is always but it doesn't actually gray out the option if you can't afford it yeah, so you still actually weirdly <laughs> got the option to like transfer your stuff to their ship <laughs> and then accidentally quit out and oh not buy God. it like because i i had accidentally uh misread something because i i had like 381,000 credits and it cost 385,000 and I had skim read and got the the numbers backwards basically and I thought oh I've got just enough that's awesome and I've got some change amazing <laughs> so I started transferring my stuff over then reread it and I was like wait no I'll be having that stuff back thank you <laughs> what does this guy think <laughs> just start loading all your possessions into his ship here now <laughs> But yeah, and that's such a, like, I I don't want that to sound like it's doing things wrong because, I mean, obviously it's, there are bits of it which are hideously clunky and I'm not actually enjoying engaging with the story mode, which is bad, but I'm more than happy to slip back into my photography taking, world yeah. skimming, kind of being amazed by all of that stuff um habits and also the fact that they are working and adding all of this stuff is really interesting to me because it feels like they are maybe making a game that is all things in some weird way (laughs) and then you can just pick and choose the thing that you want to play within that which is fascinating yeah how are you finding it chris i had the opposite experience to both of you (laughs) really (laughs) no well without some exceptions i I agree about the ui so i went back in i deleted my old save because i thought i'm gonna start again like I didn't, I wasn't attached to any of the progress that I'd made. I probably had made a lot. I think we all did that then. <laughs> I didn't actually delete mine because oh, I, okay. I didn't want to go. I remembered it being tedious and I didn't want to repeat it. <laughs> but then I, I looked at the list of now confronts with the list of options, and I thought, oh, permadeath. I'm gonna do that. Oh my! Wow. So 
I've done Permadeath three times, which means in many ways I've finished No Man's Sky three times <laughs> in, in two hours, which is incredible. Uh, absolutely incredible. Um, well, and it's interesting because, so the first thing that struck me and the thing I, I, I had forgotten because I, I liked No Man's Sky initially. I liked it to the tune of like 12 hours of wandering around and then moved on, felt that I'd gotten my money's worth. Um, but now I come to associate it so much with the controversy that I'd sort of forgotten two things about it that I think were always true. Although I think the new terrain generation stuff helps with one of them, which is it's an amazing looking game. It mm. really does look incredible. And the second is it's an amazing sounding game. Like the 65 days of static soundtrack is brilliant. Like it just in terms of like how distinctive that place feels to be in because of how it sounds. Um, I think it, I, I'm very taken with it find it very atmospheric and in, in a way that is unlike any other space game i can think of like they have a tendency to be quite cold places um mm. obviously space is cold but like <laughs> whereas i find that no man's sky feels like oh hmm, it's a place with an identity even though it's randomly generated because because of primarily the music i think i'm finding the sound to be quite um I think the social media friendly term would be to say extra, but like it's quite. Um, <laughs> I really like it. I think because so I really like the soundtrack and I like um, a lot about it, and but I've started to very much get used to the noises that creatures make, and there seems to be less variation within that than within how they end up looking in some ways and so i'm sort of there are particular like yips of pleasure mm. that i that that just feel like weird mulch now to me because they are associated with all small creatures well, i think i think your and, ears probably pick up less of variance than you would necessarily do from visual stuff but even the visual identity of the characters sort of might mesh together after a while as well well yeah extent. but i think so i've but also something that i've noticed is that the um in between planets Sometimes you just get a bunch of new ships, you know, warping in, mm. in the manner of like an Eve mm -hmm. trailer yeah. or something. Um, but that has, I don't know if it's my imagination, but that seems to have got more aggressive. Like it's, it feels louder and it also feels like it rocks your ship more. Mm. And it, it just feels a lot more bombastic, but in a way that it, it, it disturbs my play more than it. I really like it. I really it. like it. I mean, I was talking specifically yeah. about the music, which is obviously not to sound effects, but like, because I, I, I do think the music is great. Mm. Um, and so to to go back to what I was going to say, so I think initially that experience is really striking. One thing about having this sort of super hardcore way of playing it, because when you play in permadeath mode, it also puts you on survival mode, where all resource requirements are a lot more stringent, apparently, and mm. everything's a lot more rare, and your life support system ticks down basically constantly. Um, to the point where you'll start to take damage. So the first life I had, I got lost in a cave. And the first planet I spawned on was a sort of beautiful, radioactive hell planet populated by hench little Ewoks. Um, <laughs> uh, so this is, there's an experience of the beginning of uh, having begun No Man's Sky three times today. There's a particular aspect that the beginning takes on, which I think is a combination of the palette and the music and the atmosphere and also the hostility of the places you wake up in at the start which is kind of like like the hangover or something like you just sort of <laughs> like sort of bleary eyed kind of like come to in some sort of amazing desolate alien wasteland actively dying surrounded by unidentifiable creatures with no memory of how you got there and every time you do that it's it's to the game's credit how 
different it feels. So the first time I got lost in a cave, but I couldn't even repair the scanner to find the thing that allows me to refuel my life support. So I just died in the wilderness, <laughs> like nothing I could do. Um, absolutely nothing you can do because it takes down really quickly. Like you always have to be looking for zinc and the... You bon- need zinc, thermium, thamium, um, zinc. plutonium and... Carbon to an extent. And yeah. iron as well. Iron. But, yeah. yeah. And it's a very intense resource management game in that mode. Like very demanding. Like if you if you're ever off beat, off pace with each of the nine different bars you need to be keeping track of, you're fucked. Like and um that's probably bad. Like I find it really interesting. I find it interesting as an experiment. I don't know if I would play this way permanently. Um, but I found it interesting as a different way of experiencing No Man's Sky, which I remember as a kind of frictionless tour that eventually just sort of lost its luster because you felt like you'd seen everything, even though it's randomly generated. It feels, um, the thing about playing it as this hardcore survival game, even though I wouldn't normally be into resource management, is it gives you a, a, a rapid drip feed of short term objectives that you have to solve while the game is over, particularly in permadeath, we have so much to lose. Um, and so you get into these loops where you're kind of like circling the same little area where, you know, you could maybe hide in a building or a cave where you're less likely to be uh, you know, exposed to the elements, but you've hoovered up all of the, the good resources or, you know, the, the resources that will keep you alive. So you push on maybe back towards where your ship has crash landed, that kind of thing towards the opening section of the game. Um, and it's quite sort of engaging. Um, the first, so the first time I, I died just of exposure, basically the second time I, uh, oh no, I died of exposure again. The, <laughs> the third time I got a lot further and managed to, I'd kind of learned the ins and outs of what I needed. Cause like it was running out of plutonium to power my laser mining laser that got me the second time. Cause I knew what I needed, but I couldn't get it anymore. Cause mm. I'd run out of fuel for that. And I, I don't think that forcing the players to constantly top up different competing fuel bars that each feed into each other is necessarily like particularly advanced game design, but it gave me some, um, Gave me some pace with that um, interaction with that environment. And then eventually I managed to repair my ship, which felt like a nice moment and kind of take off and see the galaxy. And there's genuine tension. There's tension to realizing there are pirates in the area or being chased around space because it's more willing to throw enemies at you and that kind of thing. And then landing on a space station and basically just wanting someone to sell me some plutonium or give me some plutonium because I really wanted some plutonium, but you don't speak the language as anybody. And <laughs> I can, I know the Gek word for Gek. <laughs> yeah. It's Gek. <laughs> um, and, um, and uh, I know the word for I know, I know the word for gek high and docking. <laughs> um, Hi gek docking. I mean high as in high up or oh. like uh, really high, which is how I think. <laughs> like and um, and then eventually that final run, which took about an hour, like I got pretty far. I went to the I went to the first planet that I had an anomaly on, but it was a planet that was beautiful and temperate and and everything and nice in every regard, except that it was a shoot on site sentry drone planet where they try and kill you immediately and i ran out of plutonium and couldn't take off and just got into these running gunfights with these drones that would never ever go away and i got shot to death by the by a beautiful seashore does the tuning feel off oh it's fucked the, well i mean it's so because something that i've always felt i think um in playing was that it uses slightly too much launch fuel the thing mm. The thing that your launch thrusters need, which I think is the plutonium, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it just, it uses too much for what it does. Like, I I appreciate that it's making an effort. Like, it really needs to, like, give you a boost. It has to be full and it empties it. So, is that when you go from, like, planet to space? 
Uh, or just no, every, so time, when off, every time you lift off. off? Just basically when you Whoa. go from landed to hovering. Yeah. And I, I've always found that... So maybe it does it, does it more, obviously, in... Um, it's def- in hardcore it's definitely mode. Definitely the the full bar in in server mode. But in in the uh, sort of intermediate mode that I'm playing on, it's just like it it just feels like it does too much. You you have to refill it too much. You have to, and pa- partly maybe that's because I got used to having a better ship and a better you know uh, way of managing those resources previously, and then reset the game because I'm certainly running into the feeling of. Why the hell am I having to refill my um my uh pulse uh engine thing between planets so much? And I'm fairly sure that's a ship change thing. But yeah, like uh, the the launch thrusters feels weird. There's a lot of things about yeah. it. Like it's it's probably just too demanding to be fun long term. I think. Like I think playing permadeath mode as a long term proposition, if you wanted to see all thirty hours of the story, is is nuts. Like don't do that. But actually, I, I thought it was a way of dipping back into the game and having a very different experience with it. I quite liked it. And also, it made me feel less... I think there's a lot of... With No Man's Sky, there's a lot of setting your own objectives. There's a lot of kind of trying to figure out what it is that you value in, value in that experience and then chasing that, and that can feel aimless. Well, that's why I really love, like, skipping from planet to planet just trying to find photo opportunities. Sure, but so. you've, you've successfully set an objective for yourself, right? Yeah, you don't but that's feel... what I mean. It's like, that is that's what I've ended up deciding i valued and that's how i play whereas for me i hadn't really settled on what i wanted to get out of it um i think i said on the podcast when it came out that i sort of started to see it as a sort of freeform writing challenge which is about coming up with decent names for all of the things you find (laughs) um which is one way of doing it but this has made me feel less sort of concerned by men maxing anything so much as just surviving which is i mean we've said it before it's it's a pretty quick shorthand for or a quick shortcut to drama for the player but you know, I got an extra three hours out of it this afternoon just basically waking up in a variety of deadly planets and seeing which one was the one I could get off before I died. Like <laughs> that that in itself is kind of a fun little mini game. It's like get mm. off this hell world, the game. <laughs> the fact that this is infinite procedure generated universe beyond the hell world is uh is a bonus really. Like Escape the Planet of the Hench Little Bear Men <laughs> is is a fine game to play by yourself. Hmm. I'm interested to see some of the things that it says that it's added. Like I've already seen more resources and I'm one of the things that I'm keen to get is the hazmat gloves just so that I can pick yeah. up particular types of things. I'm not sure that that would ultimately ex- uh, like change the experience because it doesn't feel like... So in, in something like Subnautica, it genuinely feels like, oh, if I could just get this thing or harvest this thing or work this thing out, maybe a new world of crafting will open up to me. And I I don't necessarily know what to expect from No Man's Sky on that front, whether it will just be, okay, well, now you can just tick this resource bar up or, you know, use this to to get more credits or something. You know, I'm not I'm not ultimately sure how these things interrelate i know that they've been tweaking the crafting and economics like a whole bunch so i'll be interested to see if it does pay off in terms of oh now you can harvest i don't know what it was like uh starberries or something and i'm like oh okay or frost roses or uh, you know these aren't the actual names of the things but it's, it's similar and so it'd be really cool if being able to actually harvest that specific stuff is meaningful beyond well it's a rarer resource so you get a few more credits i guess yeah. um 
but yeah, I'm kind of not really sure what to make of it, whether I like it because it's doing the same thing as it was before, but the the new stuff just still isn't for me, or whether whether hopefully there will be something within there that that I like. Hmm. But it's worth returning to, I think, if you bought it. Oh, I mean, I'm I'm having fun and I'm like, you know, taking screenshots of ridiculous animals and, you know, I found like a T-Rex with a unicorn horn and things like that, which was kind of fun. Um, And like odd, just there's loads of weirdos in space, like adorable, (laughs) awful weirdos. (laughs) So, you know, that's quite encouraging and quite sweet. Um, Although some of them seem to be programmed to be not exactly afraid of you, but to just shun you, (laughs) which is really annoying. So I'll be like trying to record a video of, you know, a particular creature and it it will sense when you're quite near its front and then turn around. (laughs) So all you ever see is its bum. (laughs) Like, oh, come on. (laughs) Rude. What else has anyone been playing? I think, Tom, you said that you've been playing a lot of little things. Yeah, I've been a little bit of a lot of things. Some oh. of those things are big. <laughs> <laughs> One of them is the 868 hack expansion. Hmm. Oh, cool. Um, which is not that big. <laughs> um, uh, 868 hack is a roguelike from Michael Bro, um, where you are a kind of smiley face in a grid of... Um, sort of programs and viruses and uh it's a roguelike where all you can do is move um and your attack uh, like a lot of roguelikes involves moving towards an enemy but in this case range does not matter so no matter how far away they are from you moving towards or trying to move towards them will shoot them instead um and the clever many clever things about it michael bro is very good at elegant design where everything does something and every part of the uh, of the game is important and in 868 hack um every empty tile has resources on it and you have a siphon that you can deploy to sort of sap all the resources from a, a sort of cross-shaped grid of tiles um and every wall is also a program which is basically like spells and if you siphon a wall uh you get that spell slash program but it will also summon x enemies and how many enemies it summons is is listed on the on the wall so every wall will say something like five um crash and mm. if you siphon it then five enemies will appear but you'll get the crash ability and the crash ability costs three dollars and two energy and do you have three dollars and two energy if not you can siphon the floor and the, it, this area of the floor has three dollars on it which is great and this area next to it has two dollars on it so you can get them both with a siphon and that will get you five dollars um the expansion uh, came to Michael Bro in a dream. <laughs> he um, apparently, when he was working on the game originally, um, I can't remember what he had in mind, but he had some idea for um, uh, I don't know. He, he didn't have enough other ideas for mechanics that it came together into something that he wanted to, to actually add to the game. And then one night, uh, since then, he just had a dream about in which the game had a. Um, an ability called Plan B, which would um, uh, activate one of the abilities that you don't have yet that's on this level. Because every level is randomly generated and then what's in the walls is random. um, And those are abilities that usually you don't have, that you haven't siphoned them yet. And uh, this would be an ability that 
uh, would just cast one of those spells, basically, like a random spell you don't have that is on this level. And because you can see what's on this level, you, you would know what the options are. And you could even, um, uh, you know, not use it if there's too many different ones and it's too random or only use it when there's only one spell out there. Um, and in his dream, it cost, uh, like it had a fixed cost. And that meant that sometimes it was super worth it and sometimes it was not at all worth it because maybe the only thing on this level is a really expensive spell. And so this cost is less than that. So it's great to use it. Um, and then he found that that actually in practice spiraled out of control and was just, it was too good in the good situations and too bad in every other situation. So he made it so that it just costs whatever the spell would normally cost. It's just like having that spell just for one thing, except that you don't know what you're going to cost. And then he built a whole load of other abilities around it. And he's done a, a thing that a very Michael Bro thing, which is to complete the set of, um, like almost every ability has a kind of counterpart. Like if there's something that does this, then there's something that does kind of the opposite of that. And um, there are, uh, now there's a fire ability and an ice ability. Um, and uh, there is now an ability for every combination of, I think it's six resources or seven resources or something. So there's a one that costs two energy and three dollars. And there's one that costs five dollars and one energy. And there's one that costs just six energy or whatever. Um it's a lot of the new abilities are, are kind of esoteric plan b is pretty esoteric um there's one called save which um i had to ask is the, does this really work how i think it works because it seems totally useless to me <laughs> and uh michael bro replied to explain why it's useful but it it takes a siphon which is that thing that you use to get abilities and get resources and it, it costs one of those to use this and it costs six dollars or five dollars um and all it does is save that siphon for your next run so you don't have it now but you will have it on your next run and your next run happens if you finish the run there's eight levels if you finish all eight levels you start the game again um and uh, there'll be a sort of random modifier on your run that makes it harder in some way and so all this does is sort of stash that for next time but it costs you five resources to do so most of the time it just seemed completely crazy to take and also it would be quite expensive to siphon when you siphon it loads of enemies show up um but apparently it's for like right at the end of your run. If you have a little money spare, you can't take that with you. So, and if you also have a siphon spare, that's the part that seems crazy to me because I'm always using up all my siphons. Mm. And last level is where like suddenly there are bits of the wall that just get you nine points, which is crazy. That's a huge <laughs> amount. Uh, like early on, it's um, one or two points you might get for siphoning a, um, a bit of a wall. And so the last level is where you absolutely want to use all your siphons to me. But apparently there are situations where you don't. And so it's full of things like that where... There is, a, I'm sure in pro play, there is a situation where this is useful. But to me, <laughs> there is a lot of things that just are not useful here. And because it's a game that on every level, there's, you know, they didn't increase the number of walls on each level. There's still the same number of walls. Each wall is either some points or it's a spell. Um, and now the total pool of spells it can draw from is much greater. And most of those new spells are weird <laughs> and are not directly useful. And the three most useful spells in the game are, um, uh from the original game where there's one that just hurts all the viruses on the level there's one that explodes the nearest demon to you which damages everything around it and kills the demon and then there's one that for the glitch enemies that can go through walls it kills all of them that are in walls all those three are super useful uh not only because they can affect a lot of enemies at once um but and their direct attacks they all do like serious damage um but also those are the you know viruses are very fast that can screw you over 
uh, glitches going through walls that can screw you over because the best way to, to play the game is get into a, like a choke point and just hang out in there and then summon all the enemies you want because they've all got to go through that choke point except the glitches. And so if you have debug, now everyone else has to go through the choke point and you can kill them. And if any, gl- any glitches try to go through some other way through the walls, you can kill them with debug. Uh, so those are all just really practical, really useful things. They're quite cheap to cast. And now you just get them much less often because there's <laughs> twice as many spells in total. So they just show up less. Yeah. And instead you get these really esoteric things that are just very hard to use effectively. Like technically this is useful, but only if this situation comes up. And if that situation doesn't come up, it's not that good. Um, the ones I do like, uh, the one I, I really like is fire, which is um, uh, just incredibly cheap. And all it does is just sort of lay a trap on the tile you're on. And then when you move away from it, things get damaged if they move on it, which is a very simple idea. But it's quite weird an 868 hack because it's the only way that I know of that you can ever damage anything when it's not your turn. And that has strange consequences for things like viruses, which can move two squares. If a virus is on is damaged already um, and it wants to move two squares, but one of those squares has a fire trap on it, as soon as it moves onto that square, it's going to die from it and therefore it won't get to you. And so that's like one of the only cases where a, a virus that is within the attack range of you is not going to hurt you on your turn because it's going to die on your fire trap. So that leads to interesting things. It's I'm mentioning it mostly just to sort of remind people that 868 hack exists and is cool. Um, What's the expansion, the expansion called? Is it like B. 979 hack? <laughs> no. Uh, 868 hack though, there is a full number that it's part of. It's like 868 hack 575 or something like that. Um, <laughs> and that also relates to like a a sort of secret level you can get to by typing that in some way um and the expansion also yeah expansion is called plan b after that thing that came to him in a dream <laughs> um, and i wish i had profitable dreams <laughs> yeah <laughs> i have i think i have had dreams about heat signature that have, that have solved design problems for me <laughs> didn't um, um paul mccartney dream hey jude or something or like <laughs> here comes the sun or it's something like that and it's just like you bastard <laughs> i just have weird nightmares about ducks or like <laughs> monkeys and things but who knows they might make a great video game <laughs> duck nightmare turbo <laughs> it's very 90s <laughs> yeah it's the sort of thing you might have put on a Minter demo disc <laughs> <laughs> duck nightmare 4 <laughs> you've been having a different sort of nightmare in the long dark have you not pip some and some like i have gone in fits and starts with that game because i absolutely love what it does with the weather Mm. um i've always thought that was amazing and they've only been getting better at it and now the full release of the game has added the aurora which is beautiful really beautiful um but story mode is kind of a mess and i Mm. hate saying that but it is it's like this weird thing that um i think i said on the rps podcast sorry to to name it here um but it it can't be for more than like a really specific goldilocks zone of people where they want bits of tutorial, but they don't, you know, like... There's an, there's an ir- irony to describing this as a, a game for a Goldilocks zone of people where you predominantly get eaten by a bear a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't eaten by a bear. It mauled me and ate my shoes. Still, it's not an ideal Goldilocks scenario. No, I mean, no, no, it isn't. But things worked out fine for Goldilocks in the end, my friend. Did they work out fine for you? Uh, 
because, because you're not in the Goldilocks zone. I, I I've killed the bear. That's, yeah, well. <laughs> I've got its ear. Anyway, um, spoilers. Who's been ripping off my ear? <laughs> Who's been stalking me through the forest and shooting me with a hunter's <laughs> rifle? Um, so it, the it's one of those things where I feel like what they were trying to do was to set up a framework of tasks that would then generate interesting stories because the survival element makes it maybe hard to complete them or makes, you know, obstacles spring up along the way that you then have to deal with. Like, you know, oh, go over here and fetch me a thing suddenly becomes, well, yes, but also deal with the wolves and the fact that you're going to get cold and the fact that you haven't eaten enough and the fact that you need some fresh water and, you know, all of that stuff. Um, But ultimately, if you have more than a smattering of familiarity with the sandbox which i think a lot of people will because it's been in early access for so long um it's one of those things where you know enough that you don't need the hand holding the game is trying to do but also that the fetch quests are sort of samey and a bit dull but you you can't just rush through them um there will be people like so there'll be people on either side like there will be the people who are sort of super new to this who maybe do really benefit from that stuff but then there'll be like the people like me who get kind of frustrated with it and are kind of like really rubbing up against it in the wrong way and just sort of like oh come on is it not time for the next thing or like why are we doing it this way or why are you only like halfway through the second episode it decided to tell me uh how to forage for things and i'm like (laughs) are you kidding me like i've been living off mushroom soup for a while now and now it's suddenly like there are these things called mushrooms (laughs) if you could go out and find me eight of them and put them in a box outside my house (laughs) i will survive the winter i'm like oh my god but then it goes like i I think it's partly because of the the order in which i did the survival quests that this person was setting me but i went straight from collect lichen from a tree collect mushrooms and put them in the box to and now shoot a bear (laughs) it's like really um and so i was you know wandering around trying to shoot this bear and the thing is like it only it you have to go to specific locations marked on your map where a bear has been sighted and shoot him one time in in each of six locations. What? And I've Those are shot- his horcruxes. <laughs> Harry Potter. So- I know how this works. <laughs> but I've like I shot the bear I think three times in one of those locations because I thought, you know, well, he's, you know, moving in a particular way and I'm actually getting these shots off and they're clearly hitting him because blood is spattering and things. But it only counted as one shot, like, according to the the way that the game dealt with it. And it just become the, became this really tedious exercise in, you know, trampling along and finding this bear and, oh, for God's sake. And, and then if he, you know, if you angered him by obviously shooting him... <laughs> He would like barrel over and uh, maul you, and that's it's a slightly overlong animation where a bear is just kind of clawing at your face and roaring at you. But at the end of it, my shoes were ruined, and I'm like, but "How? <laughs> like, Shouldn't have put your you... shoes on your face, Pip." <laughs> what was he doing? It's so annoying. And so, like, the most interesting thing that happened to me was the trek that I had to make in like this 
blizzard with zero visibility back to a place that I half remembered to just find some extra shoes because I wasn't going to hunt this bear in my socks. (laughs) And it's like, I feel like that puts slightly too much on me in terms of the storytelling being interesting. And now that... And and there wasn't really a compelling reason either. It was basically like, if you deal with this bear, I'll be able to survive the winter. And you're like, oh, fine. <laughs> um, but also... A lot of your like, requests can't seem uh, to come down to I'll survive the winter. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, this is the second episode full of this stuff. He's the second person that's like, if you do X, I will survive the winter. If you put <laughs> these things in the box outside my house, I will survive the winter. You're like, oh, for God's sake. Um, and so, but now he because I was doing that so that he would essentially ungate the the MacGuffin that was stopping me from, you know, progressing. But now it's like, okay, well now if you wait for a certain condition, then you can progress. And I'm like, oh God. <laughs> and I was so pleased with myself when I finally took down that bear, you know, because it'd been going on for quite a while. It's a really mm. dragged out process. And then, and then it's like, okay, well, if you just wait for a bit, I was like, oh, t- just just i'm going back to sandbox mode I'm just i'm done <laughs> it sounds like a really bad fit for the kind of game it is because i i've been waiting for this game for ages because i just decided not to play it on early access i was going to wait till it's done mm. and then it was done and then there's a story mode and so i kind of i had it in my head that the story mode would be sort of the best introduction to the game like i want to uh be led in by the hand for sure i don't want to uh have to spend hours figuring out what to do or read wikis um so i did start the story mode Mm. and i quit it within about 15 seconds (laughs) i was like it didn't do anything that other games don't do um it didn't commit any terrible crimes it was just i immediately had this powerful sense of i do not want this game to be this (laughs) it was a guy um hearing um ethereal uh whispers of of someone calling his name and then he called her name what's her name Oh, I, I think I accidentally had the sound off at that point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, whatever her name is, her he's name. Uh, calling it out into the snow as he trudges through, and then uh, you've got a piece of glass in your hand or something, and, and you've got to do a button mashing minigame to take it out. And I got oh, that like far, and I'm like, metal, I just it? don't want to play anything remotely like this ever. <laughs> I'm just 100% out. I'm just so, like... It's weird because the mentality of the story mode is so different from what I associate with the... Um, with the uh with the single player like with the sa- with the sandbox rather but i was talking about this with adam and he was sort of saying that he's got to the point with the sandbox where he can survive indefinitely huh. and so what is survival then for within that <laughs> okay it's, deep. it's a pretty like, deep question then. <laughs> and so that was interesting to me because it's like i think ultimately instead of a series of fetch quests acting as the framework, I would have appreciated um, following the story, speeding up your process, but also allowing you to meander through the world or like, you know, um, make your way through and maybe piece together some of the, you know, like I think it could have done uh, with some of the storytelling that gets done in, um, you know, uh, text adventures where it's like figuring out where you are and where, where you've been and what you know at a particular point. And I've forgotten the guy's name, but he gave a really interesting talk at GDC about how this works in um, one of the narrative heavy games and like about how it it's 
the game engine is tracking what you as the player know and what the um what the npcs can maybe feed you at that point and i think things like that would be would have been a far more interesting addition to what's going on here whereas you sort of encounter fairly tropey characters and fairly generic situations in survival wilderness terms and you're kind of like well i guess but i was mostly just there because i wanted to see the aurora and i ended up um reviewing the second episode because um of just a save malfunction in terms of the review build translating over to the the final release um but yeah so it was i yeah mm, it's still so beautiful and i really love it and i really love what it's doing in terms of the atmospheric stuff the time of day stuff the idea of the aurora doing these weird things like that's so cool and then that story attached to it is just and I've just, I've faffed for so long with that sodding bear that I'd actually forgotten that I was even looking for someone. And it's like, <laughs> well, I mean, she's probably dead now. <laughs> so, you know, what are we even doing with our time, you know? I did. I tried survival mode afterwards. Um, <clears throat> and I still wanted an easy introduction. So I went on the easiest difficulty where it says sort of things it's don't like attack passive you. Or pacifist or something. Yeah. yeah. And I don't really know if this was the right call because I, like, the thing I, wanted was i just want to know how what does survival look like what do i end up doing that actually gets me somewhere and i don't want to be mauled to death by something before i even get to figure out how to make mushroom soup or whatever um and so i've done that and it, it's worked in that i've got to grips with the game very slowly and gently and there's been no threat or anything and i'm s sort of engaged with it mm. but because i really like um I talked about this a lot with Fallout 4. Um, didn't end up liking that game, but the first sort of hour or two when I just had no idea what anything was and everything could kill me and everything was a threat just felt so wild and terrifying. And I was so engaged with it. I was just absolutely like, everything was life or death. Mm. Um, and I sort of, in a game like this, that's that's the situation they're depicting is where it was a terrifying life or death situation where everything's very... Um, uh unknown to you and you've got to you just be walking for a long time with nothing happening at all but you're supposed to be tense about what is going to happen and i eventually encountered some wolves and i had like a sort of second of like oh no wolves and then i thought oh no they're not gonna attack me because i'm playing on the easiest mode and then i realized oh i've ruined this for myself haven't i <laughs> like this is actually oh. not going to work if there's if there's nothing i'm scared of then there's no sort of impetus to survive survival game doesn't really work if you're not in danger of dying um yeah. and so i'm glad i've learned the things i have learned i still haven't actually like made a meal at any time so i should do that first maybe um but i think i need to restart on an actual mode where things can be yeah. scary because otherwise uh i don't i don't need to be harder but if i don't care about anything then it's it's never really going to grip me so i play on pacifist when i want to take screenshots because i am that interested in the weather that i will just dip into it and stand in a place and watch the the um time of day shift and the hmm. you know the wind pick up and a blizzard start you know that kind of thing um so i really love that and that's what i use pacifist mode or whatever it is actually called for i would say medium is probably good because of the same thing that chris was getting out of the um permadeath thing is that you know you're 
you're having to do these smaller tasks and it's you know the it actually does impose particular um weight on decisions just because well you might die or you know is is there a wolf guarding that carcass that you kind of need for food or oh i think i saw something moving but it's twilight and it might have just been a shadow so i'm just gonna have to like skirt around this clearing and i might actually end up running into a wolf while dodging what i thought was a wolf but turns out to be a tree stump you know it's like it it does up the stakes in a way that i think you might find more interesting yeah but yeah and also the uh i i was doing like a email back and forth interview thing with um the creative director uh rafael and he was saying that the aurora is now in the sandbox mode which i hadn't actually checked on but it's i think it's quite rare but they might have rebalanced that with one of the more recent patches because they've patched a lot since it's the story mode released as well so it might be worth dipping into to that certainly on the medium mode you know Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. shall we do questions sound very surreptitious about that pip like it's a secret well i mean i wasn't sure whether this was the part where we were supposed to be quiet or loud and then <laughs> i got a bit caught in the middle <laughs> <laughs> so we've got the the worst of both situations but loud. shall we do questions from questions <laughs> why do you say it's such a weird way pip <laughs> oh, 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 oh you're the worst. to just that one i'm not doing questions from questions yes you are well then like you'll have to take one of the other two responses and chop that one out then i'm topping none of this <sighs> this is tedious because Can people, people love a good shambles <sighs> but first up on the question of phone it's not a phone question of phone <laughs> it's emails oh it's caroline who writes hello i hope you're all so well i hope you've had a good sunny day recently Heat signature looks so good. Yay. This is also a good question, but we're basically going to read this out on the strength of that amazing yeah, intro. I voted for it immediately. <laughs> I mean, it rained. It's raining outside now, but... <laughs> Pip, don't dampen this. Uh, it, um, it's not me that's dampening it. It's well, never raining it. in space. <laughs> <laughs> in space, no one can hear it rain. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of is in heat signature because you're in a nebula, so technically there's like moisture all around. So... <laughs> What games, Caroline writes, recent or not, have you enjoyed playing to your own music library? I haven't found one in a while. I just had a great time mixing Borderlands with Rick Ross, One Must Fall Battlegrounds with Muse, and Team Fortress 2 with Taken and Sara. I tried playing Overwatch to music, but the sound matters too much. From Caroline. P.S. I also, I always play for a while with the original sound because it's often so, so good. I play Tyrion and Heretic for the music sometimes. But I also like how it feels to dance to a game when your own music is going. PPS. Pip, mm. do you know about Blue Mosquitoes? My girlfriend showed me. Here's an article with some good pics. They're so cool. So one, I do, but only because I was reading the article that you sent me uh, <laughs> while Chris was sorting out the rest of the questions. And so far, so good. Although I've only just hit the bit where it's about them mating and things, because I think that's what the article was actually hinging around. So I'm maybe halfway blue. through. Well, mosquitoes. I, I see what you Thanks. what you did there. Although, on a related note, in terms of mosquitoes and attractiveness, there was an interesting um, art uh 
installation at the Welcome Trust where it was, I think it was called like, are you attractive or something? And essentially two people would put their hands against mesh where like there were mosquitoes in a container and, you know, you would be the more attractive person to the mosquitoes oh, wow. if they clustered up around your end of the thing. Oh, wow. That's super interesting. It's really cool. It's really interesting. And it also sort of, you know, obviously feeds into the idea of like, you know what what matters to other other organisms in terms mm. of your value <laughs> to them also just a nice consolation prize for anyone who gets bitten by mosquitoes a lot <laughs> you <laughs> are attractive <laughs> i think they were kind of you know it being the welcome trust i think they're also sort of you know malaria related you know <laughs> points yeah. to be drawn it was, it was just an interesting thing so that is my gift to you and thank you for your blue, blue paddle mosquito things mm. I um, strongly associate the knife with the Hitman series. Actually, huh. we, we kind of talked about this before, but um, huh. yeah, I, I, Hitman is definitely one I always listen to my music for. Um, it has good music for a lot of it, um, but nothing but the hits, man. I play. <laughs> <laughs> Just waiting for that one to land. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was the afternoon. Uh, let's leave. <laughs> sit down <laughs> fine yeah uh because i play those games so much and i replay the same levels again and again and again that tends to be the kind of game where i don't listen to the original soundtrack forever because i get sick of it and listen to my own music it's just whatever comes on but also there have been you know albums released at times of my life when i'm playing a certain game for the uh, for the first time and um yeah uh, that association has been formed pretty closely. Lately, I've been playing um, Supreme Commander, and uh, that is a game I play purely for comfort. I'm not interested in challenge at all, and I just want to destroy a million robots with my two million robots. <laughs> and uh, I would much rather listen to my own music while doing that because it's it's more varied. I think I said on the pod before that I will always associate early Bruce Springsteen with Elwyn Forrest from World of Warcraft, uh, which is a weird breaking of things. Recently, I've been playing quite a lot of solo Dota while listening to quite turned up Tom Waits, which is a weird combination <laughs> um, on in some ways but like um like sort of late 80s tom waits like frank's wild years one of my favorite albums um because there's something so there's something sort of intense intense and unpleasant about dota in a way that i'm now returning to after a, a couple of months of uh, away i won't go on about it too much but you know there's a sort of uh it, it's intensely imperfect and kind of frustrating and people are angry and it's awful and the best game ever made and <laughs> maybe not and everything else at the same time and for some reason, this matches up really well in my brain with why I like Tom Waits, because those are fundamentally like albums about sort of sort of sloppy ramshackle music that's barely holding together. And it's very intense and kind of creates this sense of pressure and kind of heat and um, and intensity. You know, his full name is Tom Waits and or doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um but yeah, some reason now those two things are sort of somewhat conflated. And right, to the extent that the other night I was watching <gasps> Tom Waits and Measures, <laughs> <laughs> I was up late watching the International last week, 
like and I switched off I watched the match in client this one of the nights I was up super late watched the match in client switched off all the in-game sounds switched off all the commentary and just had like really really loud um Tom waits on while watching the pro dota and is this how you ended up staying awake till six yeah like <laughs> There's some aspect of that which might have been like a Dark Knight of the Soul kind of experience. Like, I think I went through something. I'm not sure exactly what it was because they're fundamentally incompatible things thematically. Like, but at the same time, for some reason, they sort of, well, two of my favorite things. So sort of mashing, I basically forced them to mash together <laughs> into a form that makes some sense to me. It's like peanut butter and jam. No, let's not get into that again. That's a normal thing that everyone had as children. Except in no America. One. I had it all the time as a kid. I, this, this is a genuine, a genuine point of conflict in this house. <laughs> if you think, like I do, that peanut butter and jam sandwiches are completely normal, then let me know. And also tell us what country you're from. All right, Tom. <laughs> yeah, fine. doesn't matter. Look, I believe in a post-nation, post-national identity kind of jam sandwich. <laughs> but you don't, because identity. you were specifically arguing that it was common in the UK as well as America. All right. <laughs> If you think that's normal or not normal, and you're from the UK, tell me where in the UK you're from. Because I kind of want to make this oh, class yeah. thing now. <laughs> <laughs> you should get, like, you know the UK snow map that, with the hashtags on Twitter? You should maybe see whether you can, like, get people to put their postcodes in and, like, whether they like peanut butter and jam sandwiches. Sounds like Have work, you seen but... the one for the names of woodlice? Oh, yeah, or yeah, what yeah. I call woodlice, being a southerner. Yeah. What do you call woodlice? <laughs> I call them I call them woodlice. But apparently other people call them rolly pigs and <laughs> chuggy pigs. And <laughs> Wait, oh, God. Those, what's the, what is it that America calls them? Is that roly? No, that, mm. that's uh, roly polies or something, isn't it? I feel like roly polies is probably a British one. That sounds uh, awfully yeah. British. Maybe, uh... Oh, I'm trying to remember what we called them when we were kids. It wasn't woodlice. I can't remember what it was. Armored mm. grey bastards. <laughs> <laughs> there is there is an amazing map. We should try and find it for show notes. Um, uh, that is the regional names for this, just in England, and there are like seventeen of them. Isn't it pillbugs in America? Pillbugs. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. Yeah. Because I was always just like I just assumed that that was a species of animal that we didn't have in the UK like until that moment or something, you know. And then suddenly we're wait what? <laughs> oh no, you mean a woodlouse <laughs> in a really sort of awful British way? <laughs> until you said that, all Americans listening were just like, "What the fuck are they talking about? Yeah, <laughs> what no, is this weird insect I've never dreadful. heard of?" Oh, you mean pill bugs? <laughs> oh yeah, ten a penny. Oh, they're or like chuggy pigs. Chuggy pigs. Makes sense in terms of the conversion. I wouldn't know. I'm too young. <laughs> what, ten a penny? That's like twenty a halfpenny. Says you. I don't know. Well, a halfpenny is half a penny. So wouldn't it be five? Losing the name. Yes. <laughs> yes, it would, Tom. <laughs> Look, what we've learnt here is that everyone's wrong, including Tom, for reasons we're not discovered yet. <laughs> Wait, hang on. <laughs> Good. That maths. was question one. <laughs> for <God's sake. laughs> A person from the internet, on the internet, <coughs> both, why not, writes, G'day, Clap Crate and Crow Bubsy. An evil wizard has cursed you. Damn it. To have the same character appear in every game you play. 
No matter how absurd, they'll be there. Though you can't choose what character will haunt you, you can choose one that definitely won't. The wizard's evil, but not heartless. What character you choose, and why? Thanks for the fabulous pods. Cheers. A person on the internet. I was thinking the Nightmare from Prey, the gigantic humanoid demon thing. Um, I don't want him to chase me because I found it frankly boring. <laughs> but he's sort of an... Yeah, he's sort of... In his glitchy, kind of doesn't quite work, half-implemented way, would like probably ruin games more. Like, yeah, so... Can you imagine, though? Like, you'd be playing, like, that, um, the point-and-click of Poirot that Microids came up with, <laughs> and then there would be just, like, that nightmare in, like, a tux, and, like, you know, just standing really awkwardly to the one side, like, uh... <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't me. I'm not in the books. It's, I mean, this is awkward. Ironically, Prey is probably one of the best games for it to appear in because it's so easily avoidable. You just hide behind a bush and it just can never find you. Whereas if you came up in like Supreme Commander, <laughs> it would be significant unit. I think it would find my base. Hmm. I think I would go for, oh man, I'm going to summon Dota in two subsequent questions. Sniper from Dota. <laughs> Honestly, fuck that guy. His annoying little voice, his stupid hat, his terrible <laughs> little beard, his shitty range. Like <laughs> no his range really good. He's, he's got extremely uh, the clues in the name, but he's, he's extremely <laughs> long ranged. No game, no game, including Dota, because fuck that guy should have a character who has extremely long range, and every time they hit you with their rapid fire little pea shooter, it has a chance to slow you. That is the oh most annoying thing. Yeah, in in games. But it's a chance, not a certainty. It is, and that makes it worse <laughs> somehow. It's because fine. you get these little isolated moments of hope as he plonks away at you. Plonk, plonk, plonk. But endlessly. you should be better at dealing with Sniper. For did example, just, getting really just, close to him and did smacking you just, him in the face. Did you just get good me, Pip? <laughs> so as somebody who plays Sniper, yeah. I am well versed in the ways in which Sniper could get well and truly dumped upon. <laughs> By know, other people who have the vaguest inkling of how to deal with snipers. It's, so let's not. It puts a lot more, em it's a lot harder to dump on sniper than it is for sniper to dump on you. It's a, it's a. That's flat out not true in my it's experience. It's 100% correct. Well, that feels like you've just picked a Go auto attack down air. mid. <laughs> That's a stupid thing to say. I know. And <laughs> I regret saying positioning. it. This is why you're no good. You just you don't know what you're doing with stuff. Can't believe you've still get good at me. <laughs> anyway, remove him from that game and hey, all games. I don't actually, like the premise uh, of this question. There's a tiny news item we, we kind of uh, didn't talk about, which is uh, the OpenAI Dota thing. Where, oh yeah, uh, that happened. So uh, cool. and also two new Dota heroes. They did actually announce yeah, some more stuff. There was some Dota news. Mm. Uh, the AI thing was interesting because. Um, uh, sometime guest on the podcast, Mike Cook, uh, chimed in on it inevitably because he is an AI expert. Um, and, uh, he's actually done a really good blog post explaining why it is, why a lot of how they presented that. So what happened was a company called OpenAI showed their AI or pit pitted their AI against Dendi, who is a famous Dota champion, uh, in 1v1 is it called solo mid? 1v1 mid. 1v1 mm -hmm. mid. Um, where you're just stuck in the middle lane. It's the first to two kills or destroy the enemy tower. And they're both playing the same hero. And the AI handily won um, and has beaten many, many pros. Um, and it sort of looks like, you know, that kind of game is 
semi-solved uh, from an AI perspective. Uh, Mike points out that, um, for one thing, like, 1v1 mid uh, just completely elides everything that's sort of complex or interesting about Dota. <laughs> it just takes away all of the interesting complexity. Mm. So winning at that means nothing for Dota, really. Um, and, and the other thing pointed out is that 24 hours later, 50 different people beat that AI. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. there are loads of exploits that you you can get around it. It's it's just really a case of just figuring out what the AI doesn't know yet. What? And also, That's it's not. It's also pictured as a it's a machine learning thing of like they say, oh, we didn't tell it anything about Dota. We just let it learn by experience and just play a million million games. Um, but actually, they did totally hold hard code a whole load of behavior for that bot. Um, uh, anything that didn't directly involve interacting with other players, they just hard coded it. Here's how you do this thing. Yeah, I was wondering about that because presumably at that point it would only know what it could see in like the fog or yeah, and that's... fog of war when it was playing. So unless it was maybe drawing information from spectating games, that that was potentially that's the other thing of. that uh, Mike points out is that it's not. There are other AIs that actually literally look at the screen and mm. read the pixels in, try and interpret the data, which is massively hard computing problem. This does not do that. You, there's a Dota API where yeah. you can just pull in direct data from the game. And so you can know things that a human player could not humanly know. Like, mm. it's not information that's like, you can't get secret information of things that are in Fog of War or anything, but you can, uh, you know, automatically, instantaneously trigger a skill on the same frame that it, that the input happens that should trigger it kind of stuff. Mm. Yeah, it was interesting. So that, that 50 people beat it thing comes from the fact that Valve did, like, they put up, sort of 50 expensive cosmetic items at a LAN pub nearby the international venue and said the first 50 people to beat it oh. will get those items. And all of those were claimed by the end of the night. So at least 50 people oh, okay. beat it. I um, assumed that it was like as an incentive to feed the thing more information for more learning. Yeah. yeah. They did say that the next step was to try and teach a team to play the game yeah um and, and so much more it's, complicated. it's worth it's worth not totally discounting the experience of the pro players that it beat that they sort of read it as playing like a pro player mm. in a way that the regular bots don't and that's because it has successfully kind of learned optimal ways because that like wasn't it also successfully executing on like feints yeah and, it was like, successfully faking out and like creep blocking, blocking and things like that which you know i i think you could probably like find ways to either teach it or maybe it is less hard to learn than i think it is but it's it's a different style of behavior especially given you know, hours and hours of experience with Dota's existing bots and how worlds apart it is from that terrible, yeah. stupid experience, you know, because they are dumb as rocks, you know, <laughs> and you... It's an interesting experience learning how to game the bots because that's a whole different skill set in and of mm. itself on top of all of Dota well, because you have to like try and work out how you persuade a bot to leave a lane that you want to be <laughs> in if you want to do something Well, that's else. the thing is, is the bots are dumb, but at the highest level, they literally call it unfair difficulty for the highest level bots in mm. Dota because it is cheating. Like, it is just full-on taking advantage of the things it knows as a bot and you don't. Whereas, I think this is, like, semi-legit as a as an interesting training tool potentially for people because it does play, like, the most optimal human player, not as the most optimal machine, even though some of the things, obviously, it has access to information-wise are possibly beyond human ken but you know every year it's surprising so i don't know do you guys have any characters that you would never want to occur in every single game or 
maybe the flip side characters that you would like to show up at every single game. Well, this is what I was saying when I was I was thinking that it feels like the question itself is just really, you know, not not being offensive but flawed because, like, if you have one person that you don't want to show up in games. But then, like, then what happens? Like, are you asked to make a list of the other people that you also didn't want to show up in games and then they'll pick from... I assume everyone else can. ...that worst. But, or, is just, like, literally everybody else from video games going to show up in every game, in which case the the world gets a bit unwieldy quite quickly. It's like It's a Wonderful Life, but full of the same (laughs) white dude. That just feels a bit... (laughs) awkward but i mean if to take the sort of the flip side the character that i would quite like to see in every game is the swampling from simon the sorcerer because he was so full of mishaps and like ridiculous sort of pathos and it was kind of like i would oscillate between being heartbroken on his behalf and also just really hating him and so it was kind of an interesting dynamic that i think would actually be interesting to see play out in a whole bunch of games i would like the pug from spelunky in all games oh, really? <laughs> if i can pick a positive one um he just at the end of every level licks you gain a health point <laughs> it's all good back to you natco jc <laughs> <laughs> maybe a cat just like a cat you know mm. that would be nice cats are nice but also nice is pete <laughs> who writes well expecting that intro were you pete Nice as a cat. And he writes, <coughs> Hey Potters, I'm listening to your discussion about Hellblade and the controversy around losing your safe game. And I was reminded of a couple of things. First, that this is a should true... Should we, sorry, should we quickly preface this with like, it might spoil the, the small mechanical thing that we talked about last episode? Does it? <laughs> yes. A good interjection, Tom. Uh, skip forward 30 seconds because I'm going to dwell on this. <laughs> It uh, really will be Do you 30 seconds this time. Can restart the question if it's. No, we, it's haven't, fine. we haven't spoiled it yet. Oh, we haven't okay. spoiled it yet. Okay, we haven't spoiled it yet. Um, <laughs> skip forward 30 seconds if you don't want the implication of a minor structural spoiler <laughs> yes. for Hellblade. A minute to be on the safe side. I'm going to make it even shorter than that now. Okay. <laughs> In listening to your discussion about Hellblade and the controversy around losing your game, I was reminded of a couple of things. First, that this is a true story trick that the Fargo film and TV series uses. I remember being genuinely terrified for Marge's life when I remember watching the film for the first time. I haven't seen the film. All right. We, we want to reverse 30 seconds <laughs> and forget everything you just said. Oh. <laughs> well, <laughs> that was on my Netflix to watch list. <laughs> but we read this in the question prep. Yeah, I wasn't listening. <laughs> I was reading about mosquitoes. Oh. Okay. Well, anyway. Sure. Go for it. Whatever. <laughs> I think you just did that to stall it up to a minute to prove your original spoiler <laughs> warning, right? No, you can go and check my Netflix. Oh. I can, because... Let's do that <laughs> The other thing Pete writes, I was reminded of, was more related to the mechanic itself. I remember when I first started playing Bioshock, I played for a few hours. The world was amazing and I was completely immersed, scared for my own life, until I died. And I immediately respawned with no penalty in a Vita chamber. Now, I know there's basically no penalty for death in many other checkpoint-based systems, or if you can frequently save, a la Half-Life. I spammed the quick save button a lot in that game. But the fact that in-game, in the setting itself, there was no cost for dying really took me out of the world, and I stopped playing there and then. I came back and completed it a few years later, and it was great. On the other hand, in Half-Life, where saving meant there was no cost to dying either, the fact that the in-world threat of death was real 
meant I didn't lose immersion or my stake in the game. So to get to a question, what game have you been really, really enjoying only to have a single, maybe unimportant mechanic ruin it for you? Keep up the good pod, Pete. Yeah, the question of um, uh, distinction between uh, recovery systems that are in fiction and recovery systems that are out of fiction is very interesting because um, Bioshocks, Vita Chambers um, were a kind of mirror of system shocks, nano regeneration, quantum entanglement thingies. (laughs) Um, And I've always liked those systems. I've never had a problem with them. It's always like I die and then I respawn there and I'm still in world. All the things I killed are still dead. All the stuff I achieved is still achieved. And I'm reset in some way. In System Shock, it costs you a trivial amount of nanites. In Bioshock, I think it costs you nothing. Um, And I like that system because I don't want to repeat the things I already did. I'm happy to have another go at the stuff that I failed at, but the stuff I did well... I don't want to have to redo it because I already proved I can do that. Um, so it's very interesting to hear from someone who who completely rejected that system, but is 100% fine with quick saving and, uh, you know, the sort of more traditional way of doing it where you just hammer quick save all the time. You still don't really lose any progress as long as you remember to quick save. Um, but because it's out of fiction, uh, it worked for them. And for me, that that distinction doesn't really exist. It, it, uh, all I care about is I don't want to lose progress. If I don't so lose progress, I'm happy. Not only do I completely agree with Pete and have the same experience, the only thing that got me through Bioshock was a steadfast refusal to use Vita Chambers <laughs> by manually saving and loading every time I died. Can you quick save anywhere in that game? No. Okay. You have to go to the menu to do a manual save. But d- does it sort of save exactly where you are with all your stuff? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Right. Um... So yeah, like because I had the same thing. I thought uh, until the there is a plot explanation later in Bioshock for why that is happening, um, but I found it so kind of immersion breaking that I preferred not to use it and hmm. load saves instead. Even though that's not, I find it easier to kind of pretend that the story was just carrying on from wherever yeah. I saved than to, um, than to just respawn at a vice chamber with the world in what felt like a mess. Like the kind of the messy state that I left it because it usually meant that some combat encounter had obviously gone badly awry if I had died and so on. Yeah. But the imperfection of it I found really troubling. So I agree with Pete. But yeah, no, I mean, it's interesting because it's interesting you don't have that distinction. Like this, you know, for me, it was a real like, this feels like a, it feels like the world doesn't matter because I could just infinitely respawn. Even though actually I think that game narratively holds over, over the arc of its plot holds together better if you do use that system. Yeah. Yeah, it is a plot point that you can use that system. Mm. Yeah, because then I got I hit that plot point of like, did you ever wonder why you can use the fighter chambers? <laughs> and I was like, no. <laughs> not, not the slightest. Uh, I also didn't wonder why I can quick save. <laughs> <laughs> You're my son, time travelio. <laughs> uh, next question comes from Zoe, who writes... Hi, folks. I've been spending time on a mixture of titles of late Guild Wars 2, uh, StarCraft Reborn, Revamped, Reloaded, Revitalized. Reborn. Reborn. Recrafted. Yeah. Zoe wrote SCR, and I just I had to guess the R. Remastered, maybe? Remastered. I thought it was Reborn. I think it's Reborn as well. Red. Yeah. There's StarCraft Red and StarCraft Blue. You've yeah. got to buy the right one if you want <laughs> yes. the Zerg. Get ghosts in one and Dark Templars in the other. StarCraft Moon. 
<laughs> Super Hexagon and The Long Dark. And the thing that struck me about games recently is how on point their music is. It's usually as good or better. Uh, it's usually good or better, sorry. And some games have simply incredible music. Got me thinking, what have you played which has irritating, bad or inappropriate music? The best example I can come up with was the incredible sweet speed at which I turned off the bombastic orchestral score that accompanies CSGO. Such a choice is inappropriate in a competitive environment. My brain doesn't need any more information that could be construed as a gunshot or muffling a footstep. It's also dissonant in tone. The most enjoyable moments are the one-on-one situations where being absolutely calm is paramount, ready to commit a very loud violence to a head. It leads me to wonder if, at worst, bad music is forgettable in games, either through lackluster musical choices or the ability of most games to just turn it off. So what do you all think? Any distinctive game music nightmares? Any crowd favourites that you detest? Thanks. From Patience from Zoe. A good name. Bonus question. Which slime in Slime Rancher is the best? My vote goes for Puddle, as they never start shit and they can always get shy, which is adorable. Well... I think the puddle slime thing is correct. It is the correct opinion to be had by anybody. Uh, I think I actually said it to the <laughs> the co-founders of Monomi Park who made the game because I think I'd read on a bunch of forums that people were all like, oh yeah, well, Tabby Slime's the cutest of all the slimes. And it's like, how about no? How about we talk a little bit about puddle slimes? <laughs> um, I think my one thing is that I... I kind of wanted to extend the puddle love by kind of breeding them with other slimes, but them and the fire slimes you just can't breed because I think because they need very special living conditions, then, you know, you'd be a bit screwed if you tried to breed them with, you know, like the ones that need night time. You'd have to find a night pond and you wouldn't know what to feed them, if anything. And uh, it's all a bit confusing. Mm. You're saying that fire and water should have made some kind of you don't know where you're going with that no i was i was thinking how much (laughs) of that song i could quote it would just be steam um but like also i really like how willful the uh the quantum slimes are because they're the ones that are really hard to to keep in a pen because they can what their thing is is there's a version of themselves that is solid and real i guess you know air quotes and you can put that in the pen but then they can also project like a ghost glitchy version of themselves and if they don't like where they are they can warp to being that thing like they can suddenly take over the physical inhabitant of the uh, of the ghost and so if you don't feed them for a while or if they prefer to be somewhere else, then they just warp out of wherever you're currently holding them and destroy the illusion of your control over this <laughs> whole entire thing and decimate your, for example, chicken coop. <laughs> <sighs> Fuck the plot, Lise. Coming straight from the underground. Tom? Should never have bred them I... with the pink ones that eat everything. Have always hated the soundtracks to all RTS games. <laughs> That's a uh, ho- terrible, <laughs> terrible opinion. I don't wish to generalise, but I will say every RTS I've ever played, I've hated <laughs> the soundtrack for it. Right, I'm going to throw some. going to throw some suggestions at you. So you don't like the Command and Conquer Metal Hell March stuff? Um, really? Uh, really? It's been long enough that I don't entirely remember. Why don't you what sing it, Chris? It's mostly and guitars. The the only thing I remember from that era is is that amongst 
Command and Conquer's many sort of electronic tracks, there was I'm a Mechanical Man, mm-hmm. um, in which a man sometimes said, I'm a Mechanical Man. It's great. And then, in the great Westward Blizzard Wars of the 90s, was it the 90s? I hope so. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I think Blizzard Warcraft only became 2. Blizzard in 1994, having been previously, what was it, like Silicon and Synapse for three years. Oh, God, really? Oh, yeah. Uh, Warcraft <laughs> 2 then, facts. <laughs> then featured a secret track on its CD audio, which was how you did audio in those days, which is like the CD, like the game disc also was an audio CD you could put in a, in a uh, hi-fi. <laughs> Um, Maybe that was a secret just track to on reward that? the people who just put it in the wrong disc slot. <laughs> Called I Am a Medieval Man, <laughs> in which they spoofed this Command and Conquer track, which feels such a weird relic to me now. Like, Blizzard are now so successful that they don't really spoof other people. Well, I guess Overwatch is sort of references to other stuff, but it, that in those days it felt like a war between, you know party a and party b who are on equal terms and so mm. if party a did one thing party b was going to take the piss out of it now like and so they did we got fucking reigns of castamere and their house did not exist <laughs> so yeah they did i am a medieval man which is a sort of semi techno track on the <laughs> otherwise entirely orchestral warcraft 2 soundtrack See, tom let me slow you down a little bit you started this line of <laughs> on the basis that F- rts soundtracks are awful and all i've heard from you is the evidence that they are amazing <laughs> that that one song is amazing um <laughs> partly for its context uh but in general there is an attitude for some reason that What's there the is songs, the, if not the accepted the context the accepted wisdom for rts is, is that the soundtrack you do is a big orchestral score that is all grand and exciting and and i am mining gold while you're doing this or i am get slowly gathering resources or i'm very carefully planning what i'm going to do next and it's so like it's 90 percent of the time a huge clash between the mood of the music and the mood of what i'm actually trying to do you're missing out on all the metal as well i'm with tom on this because it's like these are the game equivalents of you know how game of thrones has a really rousing theme tune and then like for what six seasons it was just people really walking slowly across moors <laughs> and you're just like i mean but, that, but like that's fancy right like that you know that was lord of the rings which was like yes it is the book is fucking full of songs yeah but they didn't have the actual soundtrack he didn't like yourself. ship it with like lyric with um he first put the 20 pages of the two towers just is just talking about it's just a guitar ba, ba, ba. <laughs> <laughs> i mean there's a lot that doesn't ba, need to be in lord ba. of the rings but that's not actually one this of the podcast things gold. <laughs> Also might be podcast copyright infringement. <laughs> I think we just got YouTube blocked. I don't think that a bot will recognise yeah. any of the songs. That yeah, I'll cop to that. <laughs> I think I'm safe from copyright. If filters. it picks up that any of this be, is supposed to be a recognisable song, I will be massively surprised. I'll be extremely flattered. <laughs> it won't be the right song. Either. It'll just be some random thing, <laughs> or all of metal. I don't think I have an answer to this because I sort of like all game music regardless how dumb it is. Wow. I think I, you, you must have come across in this pod by the time we got here. Like, I like a lot of shit. <laughs> and I like a lot of things because it's shit. Like, music is like often one of those things about a game. Wow, that being your partner right now is uh, <laughs> feeling pretty great. I've basically got no taste whatsoever. Not really, not really shouldn't be trusted to make decisions for myself. Um... 
No, I mean, music specifically is something that games can get wrong and it's charming rather than bad because it doesn't really impede, as Zoe says, you can switch it off. Mm. It doesn't really impede the game itself. And if it's exuberantly bad, then there's like, there's an energy to that. Like, few things can be as entertaining when they're bad as music can be. <laughs> Apart from maybe voice acting. Voice acting is a similar yeah. thing. Like, shit, a shit texture. You don't gotta like, a shit texture doesn't pop up in a game and you go kind of like, way! <laughs> Look at that barely rendered door. You know what I mean? Like you, you, I don't know. Like there are quite a lot of. You remember when? No, seriously, um, hang on. Limbo of the Lost. If you 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 cheered for a badly rendered door, I probably would. This is me. (laughs) That's true. Does it have a blue mosquito on it? (laughs) I'd be mad excited. You know, badly rendered door is the most beautiful phrase in English language. (laughs) (laughs) It's the name of a nineties indie band. I don't know. I think if I'm not playing something for review, I tend to put the um, put the sound down quite a lot. So I can kind of I can still hear things that I desperately need to, but I will usually have like a podcast or a TV series or something running. Um, if it's not like narrative heavy, you know, if it's if it's me pottering, if it's me in the long dark, it will be you know the long dark as soundtracked by project runway <laughs> moment, which is you know obviously i don't the want long to runway sound, <laughs> i don't want to sound like i'm like you know devaluing hinterlad's work or anything because you know there are moments when it has been beautiful and when i have just had the the game sounds on and stuff but i think it's also the fact that um given i spend so much of my life now my my actual working life and my waking life on games i sort of also have other things that i want to still enjoy or incorporate and and so games that tend to meander or tend to be long that's when i use that audio for something else just to to keep on top of other things that i genuinely enjoy as well um but yeah i can't think of anything terrible like I just, I, I think I just block it out if it's not awesome and jubilant. Mm. I'll quickly um, mention Far Cry 2 soundtrack, which is very good, but I turn it off. <laughs> it's good music, but that game is so, benefits so much from just being able to hear the world and you just really need to listen to everything that's going on, mm. to any kind of music, no matter how good. It's just a distraction from that. And so I, I, I both so simultaneously appreciated the music and liked it and then also turned it off because mm-hmm. I was like, no, I just want to hear the world. That sounds like what Zoe was saying with um, CSGO. Yeah. Like for slightly different reasons, mm. but yeah. Next question comes from Jacob who writes, Hi, recently I got round to playing Her Story. As the goal is to figure out the details of a crime... I started making notes about the timeline of events, possible clues, and so forth in a separate text file while playing. After a while, I realized that I was making very extensive notes in the style of police reports you read in detective novels, even though that was much more work than necessary to get through the game. I was effectively role-playing as an inspector in Notepad alongside the actual game, and this became a major part of the fun. Having to take notes during a game can also be annoying. I remember quitting Eye of the Beholder as a kid because the version I had lacked an auto-map feature and I couldn't be bothered to start making my own map on paper. I wonder how game designers could employ the possibility or even the need to take notes during playing in interesting ways. Do you have examples where making your own notes enriched your gaming experience somehow? Do you know of games that encourage players to take their own notes for interesting effect? Love the pod. Jacob. I think Her Story is a really good example of a game that just naturally wants you to take notes it doesn't 
force you to. Mm. Uh, it's very much up to you how much you want to, you know, try and understand what you've shown, what you've been seen, what you've been shown, and how you're going to piece it together and all that stuff. And that's that's why it's so good. That's why I like it is because it's it presents you with evidence. It's up to you how much effort you want to put into interpreting that evidence. If you don't want to put in a lot of effort, you can just keep on brute forcing it and keep on finding more and more clips, and eventually you'll get it all. You'll figure out the whole story just because you'll see everything. But if you... My my interpretation was like, oh, I've got limited evidence. I need to get as much information from this as possible. So I also took notes in a separate text file, and I loved doing it. Even before it was useful, I was just like, right from the word go, I was like, oh, this is so... I need to know this stuff. I need to write this down. I need to take notes and interpret this information, and I enjoyed doing that. And then, I won't say what, uh, for anyone who hasn't played it, but I did something while I was taking those notes that I was just doing just out of fastidiousness, just out of my own sort of uh, compulsiveness, and then later turned out to be incredibly useful for unraveling the mystery. It was just like, when I looked over my notes, it was like, oh shit, I've given myself the key to this whole mystery, <laughs> unknowingly. And that was great, because I just did it out of... You know, it it wasn't irrational. It was it was like, oh, there's information here. I should note this information, and then later that information turned out to be incredibly useful, and that made me feel so clever and and just made me feel so much like a detective, which is the whole <laughs> point of that game, right? That's it's all about that. The game gives you information. It's totally up to you what rate you process that and how much you want to extrapolate from it and how much you want to just brute force search for it. Um, but for me, the the fun of it was starting with not a huge amount of information and and getting a long way from that i think the way that it presents you with information uh her story specifically is quite complicated and quite convoluted and hard to keep track of and so i think you're as a person generally i think your inclination is to try and make sense of it somehow and you know writing some of it down or jotting notes is it feels like a a very much a rational response there in the way that i think other games tend not to be confusing on purpose you know it's they are trying to lead you through their story in some way and and so the the need to note take isn't as obvious and as immediate and as you know like helpful i think but the other thing that I was thinking about was the fact that it's an FMV game. And so once you've triggered a bit of footage, a snippet of footage, you've actually got a little bit of time to sit back from the keyboard and see how it plays out. And so your hands are actually free to make those notes. Whereas in other games, it's like you have to physically remove your hand from the keyboard and step sort of away from the game. It's not a thing you can do while playing in mm. the way that you can with with her story. Because I find that because I make notes as I play things, especially for review, because just my memory is annoying on that front and there will be like a thing that I want to talk about and can't quite remember otherwise. Um, and so I do find that that's more of an unwieldy process than I found it in her story. And I think it's it, it's for those reasons, but also... Um, there have been a fair number of games that have tried to incorporate you having space to... Like, for example, there's quite a lot of RPGs that just have a logbook where you as a player can make your own notes. They give you a diary space, right? And I've always wondered who the hell uses those because <laughs> I just, like, I, you know, 
who why <laughs> like for, what are you doing <laughs> like what are you jotting down in those moments not in a disparaging way it's just that it just never feels like a natural fit and I think the DS like people tried it a lot with the DS because it was like oh well, you've got a stylus in your hand therefore you can actually make written notes or you can try and map out like a you know you can draw out your own treasure map or you know whatever else and it's a bit like well but in this situation it doesn't work because it's a it, it like you know the screen is small and it's hard to make out what I've written and you know like you can only fit a certain amount on the thing because of the size of an individual pixel that kind of thing so like I think people have tried it and it has been interesting in some regards but like I think there's a there's an amazing combination of giving you a load of jumbled information you need to sort through to start making sense of it and also giving you the opportunity to have your hands free <laughs> that is a sweet spot that her story hits. Mm. No, I totally agree. Problem solved. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I can't think of too many games, more other games recently where I've happily made notes. The last time I got really extensive with it was the Space Sudoku and Mass Effect Andromeda. Mm. That's only because it was necessary to translate into actual characters rather than like freaky G in backwards E and alien <laughs> F and all the other wacky characters that show up in that excellent game that people should feel bad about not liking. <laughs> um, next up, Ryan writes, hello, I know you sometimes do this already, but can you either announce what you're drinking at the start of the podcast or better yet, list it in the show notes. That way I can drink along, which I assume will enhance my listening experience. Thanks, Ryan. Today, it's too late now, but today we were drinking uh, Jim Beam Red Stag, which is the cherry thing they do. Uh, Jim Beam is is uh, my whiskey of preference, the bourbon, um, and it's weirdly cheap, but very, very good. <laughs> like I used to buy a whiskey that was way more expensive, a single malt scotch, and I prefer Jim Beam, and Jim Beam is half the price. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the cherry version, which I thought was like whiskey with a bit of cherry. Actually, it turns out it's cherry liqueur with a bit of whiskey, but it's good. It's been all right. <laughs> I think this is interesting because they can have a very different experience depending on whose drink journey they choose to follow. Because <laughs> a lot of the time I won't even bother trying to keep up with you guys or I'll have to do something relatively early the next day or like I'll just need to not be you know, obviously hung over for work or something. And so, you know, it'll be like, you can choose to follow what they're doing. Or it's like, or you can have sad cup of tea with him. <laughs> <laughs> I, for example, now have a Coke Zero. <laughs> Although I was drinking the Colonel's Porter uh, earlier and I did have some of this. But yeah, it's kind of like, it's interesting. You can have a kind of choose your own drink adventure with this sometimes, maybe. But do so responsibly. Mm. Really Respon responsibly. Even more responsibly. Responsible Duncan writes. Is he? Well, I don't know. <laughs> Dear recently deceased member of the Creighton Crowbar. What? Is Marsh okay? Due to an unfortunate <laughs> turn of events, you have died. Oh. What? <laughs> Fortunately... You found yourself in video games heaven. What? I don't want to go there. <laughs> Unfortunately, you got in by such a small margin that you only get to pick one aspect of video games heaven. What? <laughs> what? Which do you choose? 
What does that mean? What are the options, Chris? Okay. <laughs> I just wait for you to say what. <laughs> you can... What are the options, Chris? What do you choose? <laughs> One. Zero latency, both input and network. The two sexiest kinds of latency. <laughs> two. Play sequels to every game of your choosing. Three. There are always enough players playing multiplayer for every game you play. Ontaro, Create and Crowbar. Duncan. P.S. <laughs> what? <laughs> you may assume that games are ported to heaven as they are released IRL plus some small exclusivity period. He's saying that heaven isn't IRL. He's saying that heaven is a place on earth, Pip. He's saying heaven isn't a place on earth. Pip, do you know how earth? much that's worth? <laughs> It's worth zero latency. Well, she never gets to that. She never actually does the currency conversion. <laughs> it's 89p. Anyway, Tom. Ooh, baby, do you know what that's worth? Ooh, baby, £1.80. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, option two. Tell me about option two. The price of a magnet. The sequel to every game of your choosing? Mm. It could, if I choose Deus Ex, do good. I get Deus Ex Human Revolution and Deus Ex Mankind Divided? Do you mean you just keep getting sequels? I just get infinite sequels, but also to every game in my choosing. So I can use multiple games for this option and yeah. get all possible sequels, it's a, look, I don't including make ones that have already been released and right. ones that could be released in the future. This seems what like an absolute slam dunk to me. <laughs> well, I took it as you get a second game in the same series as a game of your choosing. That doesn't yet exist. So, like, I didn't, I didn't take it to be, mm. like, infinite sequels See, in terms of, like, you wouldn't get Deus like two through nine million nine hundred and five or whatever it says play that's those are the only numbers and there are two and nine million hundred and five <laughs> by way of counterpoint to that i would say it says play sequels to every game of your choosing it doesn't say they're There's good plural sequels they might be and plural shit. games yeah everything's pluralized in that the only thing that i'm unsure of is is do the, does it refer to sequels that already been made or does it refer to sequels that have not yet been made or both I assume it might be notional. Game as heaven. Is pedants hell? <laughs> I don't know. It's I, pedants I, heaven if judging by this nonsense. To be honest, I so much prefer single-player games that that's probably my, my choice no matter what it means. <laughs> Even if it means sequels that have not yet been made to my favorite games, which would be like, you know, Dishonored, Deus Ex. Uh, you know, the next Dishonored game from Arcane is not going to be less than brilliant, right? <laughs> it's going to be fucking amazing. The next Death X game might not be super great. Well, it might not be as good as, as Human Revolution, because Mankind Divided was slightly less good than that. But they're both good. Maybe you'd be like the QA for sequels. Like, they would just pass it through you, and then you'd be like, oh, this is tedious. And they'd just be like, oh, I guess we won't release that on Earth then. <laughs> Can they not fix it and give me the fixed version? <laughs> Maybe we should not. I like to feel my, my feedback would be so informative that they would know. It's like you're just the only do. person playing them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, if I was there, only talk, target audience. Because literally, would have no to... one else will pick that option. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else went for their multiplayer options. Yeah. I'm the only guy wanting Deus Ex games, so they have to make them all to my spec. The thing is, like the the multiplayer thing is such an obvious slam dunk for me because that means that I just play tribes in heaven, which is fine. That's where they play tribes. I was about to to deliver a rather mean remark about Battleborn at that point. 
going, but it just feels like just it's already dead. <laughs> Stuff like that's why you're not going to video games heaven, Pip. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, I'd I'd go with the multiplayer thing simply because I like playing enough multiplayer stuff that it would just be nice to have that as an on tap resource. Mm. What I think I would like is for the ability for for matchmaking to like for it to be not only you know enough people to play with, but also for matchmaking to be perfect. You mm. know. For it to be an actual enjoyable challenge, because it like I'm also <laughs> it's aware it's too easy at the moment with all these scrubs. Well, like <laughs> in terms of what I just said to Tom, which is that it really didn't specify that those sequels were going to be any good. It also doesn't specify whether these people are going to be jackasses or not. You know, so it might just be like, oh, you can play all of the games you want in low priority. <laughs> Enjoy that, idiot. That's fair, but this is video games heaven, not... I still don't believe that video games heaven will be... I'd just rather go to heaven. (laughs) (laughs) On balance. Like, imagine. Is there actual heaven available? (laughs) It's just, oh, come on. (laughs) My video games heaven... All you've achieved in life was video games. All you've (laughs) achieved in death. (laughs) In my video games heaven, I think the multiplayer games will be balanced such that uh, I'm put in a slightly lower bracket than I deserve. Uh, so that I just always win. Ah, press trips. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that is. Yeah, that's legit. Like smurfing. I remember You're smurfing your way through the afterlife. Playing. God, I can't remember which Call of Duty one of the Modern Warfare's um, at a press event, and you know, reviewing a single player uh, thoroughly, and then doing a multiplayer press event at was before release, so no other people had played it. It was only journalists. And I was a fucking god. <laughs> I was the great, like, for that moment, I was the greatest player in Call of Duty. It's amazing, isn't it? Like, that uh, will never happen I again. This, I said this on, on Twitter a couple months ago, I think, but like, honest to God, press events for competitive games are like fucking Westworld. It's like, a, it's like a magic world you enter where you can only win every gunfight. Well, hang on. Is this why you want to spend your entire afterlife playing Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2? No, I don't. I, I still want <laughs> option 2. You literally said that. No, I still want option 2. I'm just saying, if you gave me the multiplayer option, this is how it would manifest for me. Everyone is slightly worse than me. To be honest, everyone's slightly worse than me, and it's Half-Life 2 Deathmatch with Gravity Gun only. That might be heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Throwing radiators at people, just I just don't think that ever gets old. Like, you don't think that you'd want to do other things? Like, Have you seen got... a radiator hit someone at full force? <laughs> <laughs> you've just, you've got eternity. I'd like some toast at some point, you know? Have a bath, maybe a walk. You could, you could throw a radiator at some bread. <laughs> you might get some <laughs> toast get out some of toast? it. <laughs> The kinetic like energy would magnify like that metaphor where, you know, like that whole thing, I don't know where it's from, but like the heaven and hell are exactly the same, but yeah. people with the long cutlery and, and yeah. Yeah. chopsticks. Like a, yeah, the chopsticks. banquet table and the, heaven and hell are each a banquet table and and everyone has cutlery that's so long that it, you know. I thought it, it was only, like they have six foot chopsticks and the people that only try and feed themselves obviously can't, but yeah. then the people who feed each other like have a have lovely a feast. Time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the same heaven story. and hell are the same setup, but in heaven people are feeding each other and in hell they're all trying to feed, yeah. each, feed yeah. themselves like that, and they can't. But with gravity guns. <laughs> you can't throw a radiator into my own face. I need you to do it for me. <laughs> exactly. Well you can't throw the toast into your own radiator. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm flinging limp bread at this radiator. <laughs> 
I need your help. Although at this point, it's like, just eat the bread. <laughs> like, I mean, it's not that bad. Like, toast trying to do a toast sick... is better, but it's not that much better. I've tried to do some sick toast rebounds off this wall into my own face, but it's not working. Shoot toast at my face. There would be like a, um, there would be one of those like walkthroughs of like how to like throw the exact right angle to get it into one of the, the grills on your radiator to actually It's get almost hard to believe off. that our generation has not come up with any of those lasting metaphors. <laughs> Well, Heaven this and hell is the thing. thing, like, actually, hell would just be, like, all of the toast you can eat, but everyone's just sat around going, but where's the avocado? This is uneatable. <laughs> well, <laughs> I can't believe millennials killed the hell industry. <laughs> killed the moral decision industry. Good. What do you mean, good? I don't know. Sometimes I just say the word good, Pip. <laughs> Diffractor writes, Dear Crow Bastards, seeing lots of Far Cry 5 news and thinking back to my time with the original, it's so different to what the series has become. One <coughs> could almost say it was a ellipsis, second ellipsis, different game. Oh, is that not... Genre, different genre, I can read. <laughs> I thought that they were going to do like a dot, 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 Far Cry from the original... Yeah, that would make a lot of sense. Like, I think that is the joke. Are we not... Have we... Have you... What? The joke is that he didn't say that. Right, okay, yes, but then like you didn't bourbon. say what he said anyway. Look. <laughs> or she, I'm sorry. Uh, I think it's a... I think I recognise the name from Discord. I think it's ah, a him. Okay. Um, this is a very Andy from Parks and Rec format of joke where that he says, like... You know, he's dating a girl called April and says, I, I wrote you a song. I just not spoiling. I think it was about a, a month of the year. And she says, is it called April? And like, oh no, that would have been way better. <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever kind of joke it was, I fucked it up, Tom. <laughs> I played it, Fargo, he means, because it reviewed well. And in my experience, it was hot bullshit. <laughs> Enemies that could shoot you through walls were bullshit enough. My own grudge is that it had the trappings... Oh, is this a grudge? I guess so. Had the trappings of a stealth game, even a stealth meter, that encouraged you to try and play in a way that was totally unsupported by the game, especially on because of the omniscient AI. I could heap anger on that game for a while. I remember going full Tom Francis, <laughs> and he says in brackets, oh, for fuck's sake, but actually it's, oh, come on. No, I think this might also be a joke. I, I've then. said both oh. those things. <laughs> I mean, Tom does say for fuck's sake sometimes. Yeah, I say both those things. But I, I mean, don't know. I think oh, I'm come quite on, enjoying the, the, the classic. I'm quite enjoying the Andy like reading of this. <laughs> this is good. On the eleventh time, <laughs> I was shot to death behind a bush from miles away. But to make this a question, which oh, games have led so it's you? It's not to... a grudge. <laughs> I'm so sad, sorry that we've fucked this question. So Do badly. betray Pip. <laughs> <laughs> Let me finish. Which games have led you to believe you can play in ways that they don't actually don't support? Thanks for podding, Diffractor. I don't know, but well, like, Call of Duty rather encourages the idea that you can play it at all without getting sniped in the back by some That jerk. is the game. No. It is. It implies that it isn't, and yet it no, always I, is. I had, a, I had a chat with Clifford Blazinski about exactly this subject today. But he doesn't make Call of Duty. No, but he knows why it's bad, and that's why it's bad. That's what it's designed to do. 
that that's not what you're supposed to do. That's not what you go into the game thinking. You just it's what you resign yourself to. Yeah, but it is the game. It's shooting people in the back and they're being. But shot that wasn't the, the question. No, it wasn't. Why are you talking about it? <laughs> because <laughs> wait, what was the question? Who knows? No, uh, it he, was. You, we know. <laughs> we can literally find out. Which games have led you to believe you can play in ways that actually yeah, support? Exactly. They've led well, me to believe you can play it fairly. Anyway, sorry, Tom. Like many of the questions we get, the issue it raises is very interesting. Mm. And I don't actually have an answer to the question that it then raises, which is different. Uh, the issue it raises to me is like, is Far Cry 1 a good stealth game? <laughs> which I have really strong opinions about. And they <laughs> do not match up to... Uh, was it Defractor? Yes. Um, I've now got Reflector by Arcade Fire. They do not match up to that. Uh, I really liked Far Cry 1. Far Cry 1 was one of the first, like sort of hybrid FPS stealth games that I really got into. You know, Thief existed, but Thief was not a hybrid FPS stealth game. It was a 100% stealth game. It was just happened to be first person. Um, Far Cry was like, it was an action game, and also you could play it with stealth. Um, I It's been so long since I played it that I can't swear that the stealth mechanics were not bullshit. <laughs> they may have been bullshit. It was the kind of game that would sort of switch gears from level to level. So there'd be a level that they in sort of intended if you'd for you to play in an action-y way and a level that they intended for you to play in a stealthy way. Um, for me at the time, that worked. I don't remember rubbing up against the wrong way of that. I don't remember ever trying to do a thing that the level just outright did not allow. There were, I mean, the the mute, uh, what are they called? The mutants. The trigens uh, were bullshit. Um, and they, I think they often had psychic vision. I feel like the human enemies... I don't remember the human enemies being total bullshit. I remember the thing that kind of amazed me about that game was, like, it sort of... Uh, it had the the rock-throwing mechanic, which is... I won't say it invented it, but it's a, that's a, a thing that, like, nearly every stealth-oriented uh, game does these days. Um, just you can throw a rock anytime, anywhere. doesn't matter how... You don't run out of them. They're not a resource. You can just always distract an enemy to send them in a certain direction. Certainly the Far Cry series has kept that. Um, and it's a really, really good mechanic. Um, and it had like, yeah, it had a vision meter. And then on your map, it also showed like uh, sound range rings for every sound you ever made, both on yourself and also if you threw a rock or whatever, if there are sounds elsewhere, you could see the sound emanate from the location of that sound on your mini-map and see how far it reached and which enemies it affected. And if it didn't affect an enemy, they wouldn't come and look for you. And uh, I guess like the levels that were set at night were sort of explicitly stealth levels and they were meant to be played in a stealth way. But playing those as a stealth game, I really enjoyed and really it just seemed to have so much more mechanical depth than other stealth games I played at that time. You know, its competition was like Splinter Cell 1, which was okay <laughs> it was it was good for for what it was um but it was basically a light meter and that was it um and yeah this was uh i, I remember that being one of my first great stealth experiences um i won't swear to god that on every single level you could play perfectly stealthily and it wouldn't ever bullshit you maybe it does in some other levels but it, it had mechanics good answer finally Kane writes, Hello! As you know, the title of any work with the word dark in the title can be improved by changing it to dork. For example, Dork Souls 
the dork side of the moon, zero dork 30, and the heart of dorkness. Similarly, changing space to spice also improves any title, as in Endless Spice, The Solace of Open Spices, and 2001 A Spice Odyssey. It also works for most famous quotes. Spice, like time, engenders forgetfulness, <laughs> but it does so by setting us bodily free from our surroundings and giving us back our primitive, unattached state. I've assembled a comprehensive list of relevant game titles as evidence, seen here. Game provides a link to a staggeringly long <laughs> and comprehensive list of games with the word dark or space <laughs> in the title, thusly adjusted. My question is, are there any other simple letter substitutions or other minor word changes that automatically improve the title of a game? Regards, Kane. Uh, it doesn't really fit uh, with the exact substitution that he references, but uh, as he was saying, I couldn't help thinking of Horizon Zero Dork. <laughs> which is, I mean, then you'd have Dork of War um, <laughs> if you replace Dawn with Dork. Um, I, maybe game with dame, cause then you'd have dame of war. Mm. Dame of war fire age. It's pretty good. It's pretty much how that was advertised. Yep. I, um, I have for a long time been mentally substituting the word dark, which already came up in the case of dark to dork. Dark to dank <laughs> happens quite a lot in my brain. Um, just naturally now I, I see the word dark as dank because R's and N's are very similar. It's barely even a, substitution which is extending the the lowercase r slightly um so that creates dank souls um dank messiah of might and magic <laughs> uh, and so on what I'm about war to what <laughs> <laughs> so call of duty world at what <laughs> <laughs> that's really good what hammer <laughs> what hammer <laughs> what hammer <laughs> world of whatcraft <laughs> Uh, dawn of what? Game, game of what? Uh, Middle Earth Shadow of what? <laughs> I'm sorry, Shadow of what? That's a, that, that is the correct response to sexy Shelob. Shadow of what? I'm sorry, Shadow of what? <laughs> I think this ties into a conversation. Did advanced what fair? <laughs> Modern what fair? It's like you're trying to get on a bus and you don't know if you've got enough change. <laughs> Sorry, Call of Duty advanced what fair? <laughs> it used to be 420. If you're telling me it's 450. It used to be 420? Yes. That's like... That was just the first number that came to my head. <laughs> don't want to discuss pretty, it. Pretty dank. <laughs> 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 used to be 180 I've got no scope for these jakes <laughs> this is twice as much as 180 now um, 
this actually ties into a conversation that you and I were having, Chris, about like people having nicknames for games. And I think it being a relatively new thing for you in that you have a lot of nicknames that you give to Dota no, and to Plunk. To, to be fair, in my own defence, this was a stupid thing I said that I realised was immediately wrong in that I've been making stupid nicknames for games forever. And then I explained it to you and you were like, oh, oh yeah, this is annoying that you keep on explaining this to me now that you know you're right about something. Yeah. Um, but I was actually thinking it might be quite nice to invite people to send in the nicknames that they have for games, like sort of silly ones, like not, you know... Hmm. Not just swear words or anything, but like, because I I know that when I was a kid, I used to just, I used to call Banjo-Kazooie Banjo-Kazoodle, and that was just a thing (laughs) that like, I just, I I don't know how it ended up happening, but like, and then everyone just sort of knew what I meant, but Hmm. it only became embarrassing later in life when they released um, uh, Ukulele, and I kept forgetting and kept calling it Banjo-Kazoodle, and then that necessitated (laughs) too many explanations, and it was like, oh. This is just cutesy. Yeah, I mean, I suppose every multiplayer game at the moment is either a plunk or a dote, mm. <laughs> which is not the name of either of those games. And you go with plunk bag instead of plunk bat, which is what Alice goes with when I talk to her about it. Although she does say she didn't invent that. No, she, I think she borrowed it from a YouTube streamer. Mm. Um, so yeah, a YouTube like, streamer. It's, that's you can stream things on YouTube now. Okay. They added the facility for that. I was at the press release for that. Wow. <laughs> what a time to be alive like no don't don't pivot on that insult that's just bullshit what don't... what is it good for uh... <laughs> lame <laughs> anyway star what empire at what <laughs> <laughs> brood what's <laughs> starcraft brood what <laughs> Oh, I hope this is funny to sober people. (laughs) Staircraft. (laughs) Stair citizen. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's quite funny. You wouldn't necessarily associate the word stair with old people. But every game you change that in, I just think. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, stair wars. Stair trek. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> still quite like staircraft <laughs> it's tough to make stairs man it's a lot of work mm, exactly so it's a long kind of sim of just carpentry <laughs> if you combine our substitutions it just becomes a stair what <laughs> how about warhammer total what <laughs> no it's what warhammer total what <laughs> Rome, total what? What hammer? Total <laughs> what? Oh, <laughs> uh, what are we talking about? I, I think, that, have we reached the productive end of the podcast? Yes, Pip, and now it is Long time ago. for the outro. Hey, before the outro, my middle name is Edward. <gasps> I did know that. Yeah, Twist ending. I did know that. Not interesting, as warned. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, Ted, France. Yeah, they're, they're all kind of first names, that they're also saints. They all get mm. shortened as well. It's all Tom, Ted, yeah. and Frank. Tommy, Eddie, Frankie. Mm. If I want to be an Italian gangster, I could put it off. <laughs> you could be three of them <laughs> exactly. at the same time. Hey, it's, it's useful if you are an mafioso. And Tommy. And also Frankie. It's really useful for making a reservation at a restaurant. You could be all three people. Frankie Five Fingers. 
because then the pentadact thing is included. Oh, I see. Mm. But you've got ten fingers. Well, you've got eight well, fingers. per hand. <laughs> <laughs> is that why you need other people? So you've got Tommy five fingers and Freddie five fingers so that you've actually wow. got ten fingers. So I'm going to have Frankie five no fingers. Ed was just got feet. Ed, Ed foot. Ted foot. <laughs> what? <laughs> Ted with scissorfoot. <laughs> Ted what? <laughs> TEDx. <laughs> yeah, Ted just talks. <laughs> wow. Are we... I don't... Pip, this is on you. Oh, God. Hang on. Right. It's been a while and I don't really know all of the things. So, um, you've been listening. That's nice. Thank you for that. <laughs> wow. We never thought to acknowledge that before. <laughs> um, we are on... Oh, you can send questions <laughs> to questions at crateandcrowbar.com. It is .com, right? Not .co.uk. Okay, cool. You can find the website, crateandcrowbar.com, where there is also a link to the Discord forum, where you will find all manner of lovely people talking about various things, mostly to do with games, but some not. Sometimes cats. Um, sometimes insect pictures. Thank you for those. Um, and then... There is the YouTube, which is youtube.com slash Crate and Crowbar, and the Twitter, which is at Crate and Crowbar, <laughs> and there is uh, the Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash Crate and Crowbar, and then we there is also, hang on, let me let me get this, let me think. I think that might be all of the things. You can review us on iTunes, which is a nice thing to do, although I think it might be Apple Podcasts now. It's been a while. Um, five stars is the preference, obviously, but, um, you know, four at a push. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Depends how you think this is gone. What kind of monster are you? <laughs> um, you can follow us individually. That's a thing as well that I can fill time with. <laughs> I'm at Philippa Wall, which is P H I L I P P A W A W R. What? Philippa what? Tommy Five Fingers is. At P N T A D A C T, which is short for Pentadact, which is short for Pentadactylus, which means five fingered. Chris, who are you? I'm on Twitter at C Thurston, that's C T H U R S T E N. Is that everything? Have I, is every, have we, do we need more things? This, it's over. <laughs> <laughs> we did it. Uh, oh, were you getting ready to say the thing? I was. Okay. Tom was. Okay. Were you? I was just thinking about it. Are we going to all yeah. go at the same time? Okay, good. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for everybody. everybody. The Second World What? Call of Duty Infinite What? Mech What?